Hi friends, we are live and we're having another special video today, an interview with someone who worked four years at Tesla and is also running an amazing YouTube channel, <laughs> Farsat Mesbahi, welcome to my channel. Thank you so much for having me, Remo. Really appreciate your uh, your hospitality. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Hello, everybody out there in the global universe, Earth, whatever. Hello. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so if anyone wants to uh, ask questions or anything, our um, comments, of course, are open. The live chat is open. So just uh, ask it and then I can bump it up. Um, it will be a long form conversation where we go. Uh, we will go as, as long as we as we'd like and, and provide value to you. So maybe I would just like to start uh, your time at Tesla. So um, if, um, yeah, maybe I share my screen. I've prepared some uh, some tabs here. So sure. let's see. Um, Oh, yeah, uh, exactly. The anti-handbook handbook. That's my first question. Is that a hoax or is that a real thing? Did you really receive that or, or yeah. what's what's the story behind that? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. First day I was there uh, for my orientation. Well, my orientation was my orientation was being thrown into the fire literally the second I walked in. And then during lunchtime was my actual orientation. So the first four hours was we need to fix all these things. And then the lunchtime was like, okay, oh, by the way, here are the HR documents. <laughs> so uh, the anti-handbook handbook was 100% there and it existed. And it was actually quite, it was a very, um, I think it sets a tone for an employee when they first walk in that's very unique. One, the book, if you can call it a book, is like what, four pages? Yeah, four pages. So it's super short. Uh, it's super to the point. And it uh, it emphasizes my takeaway was when I read it, and emphasizes how um, how much the company trusts the individual to do the right thing, and to work on the right things, and to really do everything they can as an individual to bring value to the company, and that they should never be afraid to reach out to anybody else to get the right thing done. That was my takeaway from the handbook, and it took me literally like what five minutes to read it. Whereas you go to any any other company, you literally have to take an entire week to read their whatever they have and you want to kill yourself because it's all in, in legalese. You know, it's like it's like a lawyer sat down and wrote. It's like, what the hell kind of value are you trying to bring by having me sit here and like, you know, it's like, it's like, hey, here are all the things you can't do. Like you were you're not allowed to do any of these. This is like, hey, this is what you should do. So and it's so it was so refreshing. It was so awesome. But it's very real. It's very real. And I wish more companies uh, sort of took that kind of approach because it's 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 very inspiring. It, it sets a tone the second you walk in. Here you go. Like, okay, cool. I'm in the right place. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, it says we're a high-tech company unlike any other high-tech company. And then we're different and we like it that way. And it just, uh, I, I love that. And then I love it that it's, that it's real. So probably I will make a separate video about it to really go deep because I really want to put that information out. I think it's really needed by other companies and that other companies are inspired by by things like that because yeah. I, I think elon's companies are so such no bullshit and and yeah i i really i really love that attitude and i think it deserves to be to be spread as as well i agree as possible. i agree i think i think the <clears throat> what the my biggest takeaway from my time there like that's tied to this handbook is that it's really a an exercise in maximizing the trust in the individual and and 
if you're a business that uh, really prioritizes hiring people that are going to fit that sort of culture you're trying to build, and you give them the keys to run the company, and you give them all the power possible to allow that individual to decide how to build those companies in the best way that they can, then you have a surefire success as long as you're hiring the right type of people and your leader and your leadership group rather upholds those values every single day. If you don't do that, this whole thing is a complete and utter disaster because you're just saying, anybody do whatever you want, <laughs> right? So it has to hinge and it has to be built around this very, like, very delicate but very powerful um, sort of relationship between uh, folks that are in charge of leading the company and folks that are in charge of building the company. And this sort of handbook brings those two things together. It's like, hey, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to approach it. Um, but it requires that trust. It requires that trust, which I, at least from my experience, you know, I, the companies that I worked at have been incredible in, in mentoring me, you know, Tesla, Philips, before that, I was there for seven years. Like, there's so many people I have to thank for the, de the development I had. But I hear so many stories from so many different people from so many different companies that they're like, dude, I feel like I'm being like oppressed. Like I can't get anywhere. Everything is time-based. Like, oh, you have to be here six years before you get a promotion. Like none of this shit makes any sense. So like, why can't we figure out a way to maximize people's abilities to make an impact as quickly as humanly possible? And that's the, it's a first principles approach to building a business. This is what this handbook is, you know? And, and how, how, how does Tesla make sure that this is really lived and not just lip service? So, so what, what have you found from your four years there? Yeah. Why, does, why does this work? That's a great question. I, I think it works because the entire leadership group, everybody who, the ones that I was exposed to, I'm not going to speak for every single Tesla employee, it's over 100,000 people. The ones that I was exposed to, the leaders live this every single day. So the people that you reported to or the people that were, you know, making decisions or, or, or had, a, had a lot of influence to move stuff forward, they espoused this. You know, they weren't like, um, this is what, how I'm going to do it. This is how we're going to push it. I mean, I shouldn't say that. There were a couple situations where that did happen. But then that leader would get called out. Like, yo, what the fuck are you doing, bro? <laughs> like, well, how come we're not anti-handbooking here? How come we're not going this route? So... <clears throat> It's a shared vision by everybody, but I think it's because everybody's bought into the mission of the company. Everybody's bought into what the leader is sort of, in this case, Elon Musk, what that person is, is driving towards. And, and they feel like, hey, it's being done honestly. It's being done with passion in mind. There's no like, you know, strings or puppeteering that's going on. At least that's not what I'm perceiving. And so I trust as individual that they're speaking in the from the heart when they say they're really trying to move the world towards a sustainable future. And then, you know, having something like this does nothing but empowerment if, if it becomes real. So imagine being in this situation where you're giving the keys to the company and then within a couple of weeks, you're already making a positive difference. Like that, what better rush, what better euphoric sensation do you need from somebody that wants to get stuff done than that? So it's like you build that trust through that and you allow everybody to take part of it. And if, and if it starts failing or if people are not doing it the right way, you have immediate feedback. Hey, that's not correct. Hey, this is how we should be doing it. You know, let's sit down and have a conversation. So the feedback loop is also really, really, really fast, but it requires leadership and individuals to be on their game 100% of the time. And that's my biggest like, like to this day, I, I don't understand how 
Tesla can be the size that it is and it can still execute against this. Blows my mind. Blows Absolutely. my mind. It, it, it really yeah. still, <laughs> it, it feels from the outside at least. I mean, I've been a startup, startup entrepreneur for 15 years. I've been running yeah. super, super small businesses, but it feels from the outside as Tesla would still be a startup. Um, yes. is, is, is that true also from yes. your experience? A hundred percent. The way I would describe Tesla from my experience is that it's the it's an entrepreneur's playground. It's like where you go to school to know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. So like I I'm not a I, I had a small business with my wife. I, we had an escape room in in Pennsylvania. And, you know, this is not like some crazy tech company. OK, it was two of us. We hired some people to also help us run the business. You know, it's like I think revenue we did. I don't know, not even half a million. So it's like it's a small it's a small business. It's nothing crazy. Maybe we did. I don't remember. Anyway, um, we were small, very, very small, but it but it was super hardcore in the sense that everything that we built, we built ourselves. Anything that broke, we had to fix it. Any ideas that we had, we implemented. Right. And it was constantly just 24 seven thinking about how to make the business better, how to make the business better. That's exactly how Tesla functions as well. And, and each individual feels like they own a piece of that. I think not just because of the leader or the culture, it's because Tesla's um, sort of how they ensure everybody's bought in is by literally giving them skin in the game through stock. And that's another mm. like, you know, variable that they've implemented where everyone does feel like they are part of the game and they're not shy about throwing stock towards you. You know, it's like, hey, you're doing a great job. Boom. Here's another chunk. Whoa, great mm. job. Boom. Great job. Like, and, and then... You feel like you're part of it. <laughs> you feel like you're part of it. You know, it's and and from my experience, I found that a lot of people not only appreciated that, but they thrived in it because they know, like, long term, if they really do execute and get the company to where it needs to be, in the long term, then they gain that financial independence through that work as well. And then it's up to them if they want to continue on that mission or they go do their own thing. You know, it's a it's like a startup culture in a huge company, and I feel like. For a company that wants to change as much as humanly possible, that is the type of recipe you need. Yeah, absolutely. And and how how is it maintained, like from a hiring and firing perspective? So so how strict is it? If you um, is it a, a one strike policy or a three strike policy, and then you're out? Or or how did you experience it to maintain it? You also need to make sure that people leave right that don't uh, right uh, that don't fit. Yeah. So from my experience, it was very much three strikes. It wasn't like you make one mistake, you're out. That's that's not what I was because that's kind of like screwed up. You know, yeah. like that doesn't make any sense. But but the time the time to correct from what I found was very, very strict. So it's like, hey, like three strikes. Like we don't even talk about strikes. We're like, hey, let's sit down. Like say somebody's not uh, like going up to standard. It was sit down. Let's make sure we give each other as much time as humanly possible. And we have a real conversation about what's going on. It's like it's a great leadership values. You know what I'm saying? That like that's how great leaders yeah. act. They sit down, like, hey, human to human, what what's going on? You know what's going on? Help me understand, like, wh what's going on in your life? You know, is there don't give me anything specific or anything? But is there something I can do to help? You know, like to get you up to that level. But then you're also very <laughs> very strict about, hey, but just to let you know that if we don't get up to this level, you know, we're going to have to move on. And and what's unique about that is that from my experience working at the company, this wasn't something that Tesla like like permeated across the 
the company. They just said, just uphold the values of let's do everything we can to make the company as good as possible. And then our leadership group was like, okay, the way our takeaway uh, when we worked at the company at the time was let's just make sure we give everybody a fair shot. You know, and of course, HR is like, yeah, don't fire anybody right away. You got to make sure you go through a, like a like a period of retraining and all that stuff. But then we sort of implemented it in that perspective where it's like, okay, let's actually sit down and make sure we have true conversations with them, but be very, very um, strict about timing and making sure that they understand how how and what they need, like what they need to do and how they should approach it to get to that point. And then um, and support them every every step of the way, but it also takes a lot of time. You know, <laughs> like you have to invest a lot of time in making sure your your teams are being um, as effective as humanly possible, especially through that retraining process. But then the other side of it too is because Tesla has such a unique magnet in Elon Musk and sort of the mission that you're already attracting the the creme de la creme. <laughs> so it's like you have a, a an embarrassing amount of talent you're pulling from, and then so the chances of that talent being high value is very high, especially versus other companies. And so from that perspective, I don't I think Tesla has an unfair advantage because they typically hire the best because the best want to go to Tesla. So it's like, all right, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about because I, I had an embarrassment of riches. You know? <laughs> so it's like it's 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 a very unique situation that that company is in. It's like yeah. a positive feedback loop, right? I mean, exactly. if, if, if you're getting the, the empowerment, then you can perform. If you can perform, then this attracts also better people and, and uh, so on and so forth. You got so it. I think this is really a, a, great, a great loop that they, that they have going. Did you have yeah. any, any such uh, problems with your managers or did you screw up in, in any way um, that oh, yeah. was uh, counter to the, to the culture? Can you maybe talk about one or two such stories? Yeah, there were a couple of times where I... I made mistakes for sure. Like the biggest one that I can talk about is um, I implemented a process for the outbound. So just to give a background for everybody, I worked on the in the supply chain part of the business. I was part of the distribution, the service distribution group for parts. So our role was to, uh, you know, we had a warehouse in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, was still there. <laughs> a lot of my friends still work there. And that's, it still exists. We had a warehouse. We have a warehouse. They have a warehouse where um, they ship parts to body shops and service centers. And they're part of a sort of this global distribution group. And while I was working at the company, the, the, the network was much smaller. So like Bethlehem was a significant percentage of the total, call it global distribution for parts and service. Sign like way more than it should have been at the time. But it's like, that's when you have an exploding business that's growing so fast. That's the dynamic you have. And then our role was to uh, ensure that parts got to service centers as quick as humanly possible in, in the best way that they can, so on and so forth. So uh, my role was to help the essentially the network grow as fast as humanly possible, help in any way I can through not just dashboarding and analytics, which is what I did, but through process improvement, some industrial engineering, uh, stuff like that, inventory control management, receiving, uh, put away, friggin' shipping, packing, everything. So there was a change I wanted to put in place where the outbound process I thought I thought was going to get 50% faster. And um, what I didn't do is I didn't check with the team to verify that the team was bought into this process. I'm like, hey, let's just put this, you know, tomorrow. Let's put this in tomorrow. Let's go as fast as humanly possible because we can go to 50%. And then you know, we implemented it. And then guess what? We were, we went down 50% because <laughs> oh, I'm like, wow. oh, maybe I should have checked with the team 
and gone through the process of like, hey, getting buy-in and, and ensuring the individual has the people that are doing the work, make sure they have some sort of like input into this thing instead of me thinking I'm this hot shot. Boom, 50% higher. Nope, 50% lower. Mm. So, but that was a very honest conversation with my leader, you know, who who's my really good friend now. His name's Greg. You know, he was like, like, okay, so let's talk through what we didn't do. Like, what what didn't we do? We didn't get buy-in. We didn't talk to an individual. You didn't vet it. And, you know, you're down 50%. So, and so the, the, the what, one of the uh, things we had was you can do whatever you want as long as you can fix it. It, it. You can do whatever you want. And if it breaks, you have 24 hours to fix it. So that was kind of like a safety net that, that uh, the leader, Greg, put in place that said, hey, and like try whatever you want, but just make sure you go in there and fix. And so if you're the individual that doesn't go in and fix after they make a mistake, then you get that so-called strike, mm, right? I, I so that sort of culture um, allows and encourages people to try things if you really think about it, right? But then you're also holding them accountable that if they break it, they better fix it because if they don't fix it, the hammer comes down, right? Um, I'm proud to say I never got a strike, <laughs> but it's at the same time, I think I, I had a, I had an incredible leader in Greg, like he did such a good job, dude. Like he did such a good job and he espoused those values of Tesla, you know, like allow everybody to try, allow everybody to maximize their potential and just hold them accountable, hold them accountable. And, uh, yeah. And, and I, I learned a lot through that. It, like it, it taught me not to be scared to try things. It taught me not to be fearful of trying big ideas and it also taught me to um bite the bullet when when you when you when you do something wrong and fix it and do whatever you can to to make it better for not just yourself but your peers so a lot of lessons learned like the, the more i think back to my time there i feel like boy like the amount of lessons i learned is completely nuts and i think a lot of people that work there especially in in teams that are say newer and they're really going at the speed of light I bet you these are very defining moments for not just their career, but like their personal development, because it really is a, it really is a very high pressure, super fast environment that forces you to try your best, especially if you're bought into the mission and sort of feeling like you're part of changing the world. It's, it's wild. It's completely wild. And to this day, I'm so thankful for those experiences. Yeah. Is, is this culture compatible with, for example, raising a family? So um, can you talk about the mm. demographics of, of people that Tesla attracts? So is it mostly younger people that are um, definitely without skews younger or, or yeah? Yeah, it skews younger. I don't know. I don't know if, uh, what their family situations are, but it definitely skews younger from what I saw. Now, we, I also saw a, uh, a very diverse group of people working there, like from all walks of life all skin tones, all preferences, all ages. But it definitely does, I would say, skew younger because I think the, like, I would ex explain it this way. The company in no way, shape or form forces you to be there more than 80 hours a week. Or yeah, more than 40 hours a week rather. But like everybody does because they mm -hmm. want to make a difference. It's it's very similar to a startup. I, I'm sure you can mm -hmm. sort of talk about this, right? It's like people want to be there. People Absolutely. want to kill it. That's what Tesla is, you know? And so when you hear about these like news reports like that I take a lot of like, it really grinds my gears. They're like, oh, Elon is a, a slave driver. Oh, Tesla is a place where you're forced to work. It's like, no. From what I saw is people just want to really work hard and they surround themselves with other people that really want to work hard. 
And then what ends up happening is individuals just really want to work hard. <laughs> you know, there's nobody saying don't take vacation. I never experienced that. If anything, I had people tell me, dude, take a fucking break. Take some PTO. Like, take, go on break. Take some time off. You're crazy. I'm like, well, yeah, but I want to make sure that, you know, like I, we're so close. <laughs> you know, it's that mentality. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's a feedback loop. You know, and, and some people might say, well, you know, that's not good for a work-life balance. I agree. It's not good for work-life balance, but it's up to the, I think in my opinion, maybe this is very American of me, but it's always up to the individual to decide how much work they want to put into something because that maximizes the chances of people that want to work hard to actually create something of value instead of like putting these arbitrary, like, um, uh, like a, like a roof on people's capabilities that says, well, no, don't work more than 40 hours. Like why? Why not? If I'm if I'm here, like I'm in flow state for the week and I'm freaking cranking it out and I'm going crazy, why can't I work 80 hours? Why can't I work 100 hours? No one's forcing me. I'm deciding to do it myself. That sort of culture is very much alive at Tesla, at least when I was there. And from all I hear from my people, like friends that are still in there, seems exactly the same. So I don't, you know, I, I think to this day, it's still that type of culture. And it's okay that it's not for everyone, right? I mean, it's okay exactly. if it's just for a subset of people. And I think exactly. if I would be out of school or maybe the first or second job um, yeah. in my between 20 and 30, I would love it. I would really love it. And I think I would, if, if I would go back, it, it would really um, compete with, with me being an entrepreneur because I think I would maybe even uh, be more impactful at a company like, like Tesla. Um, instead of uh, doing my own thing. But um, if I look at my current state, I'm almost 40, I have kids, I have a family, and um, it would absolutely not be compatible. It's just not the lifestyle I would like to uh, live Most right now. Most likely not. So yeah. um, I think it's, uh, I think, yeah, I think that's what people need to realize that people self-select into such an environment and that right. it's completely okay if they really work hard, single focus, basically no friends or just friends at work and basically just yeah flow state and and impact but um yeah at one point after five years or ten years it's it's done the life phase is over and then you move on and i think that's completely yeah. that's completely fine let me give you an alternate to that too there's i've also seen people that do have families that do mm. have kids that are there 40 hours a week and they're fucking killing it because they're mm. very high value in those 40 hours, right? So it's, it, it comes down to the individual. I think it's like mm. a trick. It's a trick that a lot of humans, we play on ourselves, where we like connect time with value. It's like, oh, I have to be here more than 40 hours. I have to be here more than this time. But like, we don't sit down and actually analyze what is my value to time ratio? Like, how much value am I actually generating? I saw people, you know, majority of the people did were there quite a lot longer than 40 hours, but were a few badasses, like hardcore badasses. And I'm like, how much do you work? It's like, like, like 40, 45 hours. I'm like, holy shit, yeah. And then I talked to their peers, just bringing up the name, just out of conversation. Like, yo, this dude's a freaking beast. Like, he or she knows what they're doing. I'm like, okay. Got it. So it's value. Just bring value. And if the value like aligns with the like the speed of the company and you're not slowing it down, but you're at the very least continuing in, in the best case scenario, accelerating that company's mission, then who cares how long you work? You know, who cares how long you work? The thing is, there's just so much to do <laughs> that, you know, the individual could very much fill up their entire day with work. So it becomes a, an exercise of like uh, a will and like mm. and like and like discipline, you know? Yeah, like self-control. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a very like it's a, it's a very human condition type of question. And because Tesla has so few guardrails, it really allows the manifestation of a lot of those different 
sort of variables that makes a human a human as it pertains to value creation and work. It's a fascinating, like this is what really interests me so much about the company. It's this dynamic. It's like the like it's like a magnet for humans to try their hardest and the oh. human's decision on how hard they want to try. It's completely mind-boggling. Yeah. But then let's let's maybe talk about the flip side. Um, if if you look at like companies like big uh, consulting companies or like big uh, accounting firms, uh, there is like this peer pressure, uh, which is really hard that people are also there 80, 100 hours a week, but it's like super peer pressure. It's like a negative, it's like toxic. So have you seen like um, people burn out and and mm -hmm. like, um, uh, yeah, taking a toll on their on their mental health, et cetera? Um, um, is, is, is that also a part part of that culture or just part, part yeah. or just like like a side effect of that? I think I think for some it is, yeah. I mean, I saw yeah. with my own two eyes. I saw people that I work very close with, like getting burnt out because they were they were going so hard. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not rainbow. It's not a, it's not a rainbow road. <laughs> I think I want to make sure that's very clear for everybody to understand. And Tesla is like very open about that at the very beginning. This ain't easy. It's not easy. It's hard and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like the, the parallel I draw is. If you've been following the whole Twitter thing right now with Elon for the last five or six weeks, you know, mm -hmm. like how hectic and chaotic it feels, you know, that discomfort of disruption. That is how it feels like in that company. Mm. You're constantly disrupting your like your own self. You're disrupting what you're working on. You're disrupting what other people are working on. So that feeling of disruption and working as hard as you can to push forward sucks so bad but once you reach that goal and you see like wow we're a thousand times better it becomes addicting but some things are really really hard really really hard and then the uh, the individual's capability to take it to the end right sometimes is not enough in that period of time that they're living in right so and that's what burnout is is the individuals th their glass is empty you know, they didn't have enough water in the glass. And mm. so uh, depending who it is, what stage in their life they're in, what is going on personally, that glass is going to be drained of, of water or beer, <laughs> whatever that person uses for fuel, right? Um, and because like, work is so demanding, there are individuals that burn out 100%, 100%. That is the flip side of like you, like you so beautifully described it, is the flip side of having that very individual trust focus of allowing the individual to do what they however work they feel like they need to put in to make something happen that's absolutely the flip side because some individuals just don't either they don't know their limits like me i'm a perfect example of that i can work until i'm dead and my and i'm like oh i died what happened like that's that's just how i am so if i didn't have my wife i would literally be dead <laughs> from like working myself too hard um yeah it's it's 100 part of that but then the question becomes is that a good thing or a bad thing, right? Because the, the way I view it is I always lean on the side of allowing the individual to fulfill whatever they want to do. And then those side effects are things that perhaps we have to analyze better and say, what are the things we could have done in the middle to, to maybe delay or eliminate the chance of burnout? Maybe it's like uh, having a really good peer group that says, don't work yourself too hard. You know, hey, just a reminder, don't work too hard take breaks and that happened like literally that happened but people are just like ah fuck it i can go harder and then before mm. you know what, pfft, 
<laughs> they collapse. <laughs> Not like collapse, but like mentally they're drained and then they have to go on vacation and just be like, or they leave the company because they feel like it's it's just too much, you know? Yeah, but it's, that's what I actually that's what, that's what I actually think about a lot now these days, especially in terms of Tesla's mission uh, to make the world more sustainable. And uh, I think one part of sustainability is also to sustain your own employees and to sustain yeah, yourself. Because sure. if you burn out and if you have to quit, or if you need sure. a, a, a half a year a break because you worked yourself too hard, that's not sustainable, and it's actually a net loss for the company and yourself and everybody sure. around you. So I think um, for a company that um, yeah wants to yeah bring the world to sustainability, I think it would be fantastic if this would also be part of the culture. And apparently, it is um, as as you described. So so I think that's that's good because when I compare it, I had friends at big accounting firms, etc. Um, this is such so toxic that you are basically forced to work so hard, and basically there is almost no other way than to leave the company after a couple of years or burn out or yeah uh, or just don't have any friends and, and social life yeah but the flip side of that is is like those consulting firms what's their mission right exactly that's that's the that's the dark side of that story is yeah. that they are they are doing it just just because they they want to they want to make they're being forced to do it so that the company makes more money and they're forced to do this so that the the to to appease the boss so that they can get a promotion or to make their individual lives better. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything good or bad, but like, but think about the context of that relationship. And I'm, I might be projecting, but this is how I think about that versus a company that has a very good mission and a, and a, and a culture that is bigger than self, that is bigger than that. It's truly like say world changing. Then that dynamic changes a little bit because it's, I think there's more individualism in, in that pathway than say your typical super toxic work environment where your boss is like literally like working you as hard as they can. And of course, as, a, as an individual, you can just leave, you know, but that, but that kind of culture is very like cutthroat in the worst way is that the way I would think it, which is very like self-absorbed and very like do as I say or suffer the consequences. And then the individual feels forced to do that because of whatever's going on in their life. Maybe they're trying to build a career, which again, these are all good things for the individual, but the pathway to get there is rough, is rough. So um, it's a fascinating thing to think about, I think, as well. So, um, but yeah, it is encouraged. Taking breaks is encouraged. It's very much encouraged. It's, it's just the individual sometimes doesn't. And it's just uh, the human condition. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know? it's, I think it's important to, um, especially in, in, uh, with regards to the anti-handbook handbook, handbook um, to just be upfront and, and transparent about your own situation, right? If you have a phase in your life where you just need more time for yourself to recharge or take care of a family member or whatever, I think right. the, the thing that most people do in, in large corporations, I would assume that they just somehow fake their work and just um, take yes. the time take, take the time from the company. Um, but I think at Tesla, it would be much better to just be upfront about it. And uh, because I, I assume in such a work environment, you just cannot hide anything, right? If something's yeah. wrong with you, with your family, with your environment, it, it will come out after two days, right? Yeah, more than likely. I mean, there is a, a specific individual comes to mind that may have been able to do that. <laughs> and I'm not going to say their name at all. And I, and they're good people. You know, it's just uh, 
certain individual jumps out to mind. So, you know, there, there are there is a uh, extremely small percentage of the workforce that might be able to say, quote unquote, abuse that thing. But it's but it gets over time. It, it, it very much, let's say, call it gets filtered out because of the flip side of that culture of people leaving is that now you have a brand new batch of people coming in that are super hungry. And then that, in a way, it's like the fuel to the engine that keeps it going. Because again, each individual has very different tanks of pushing. Like Elon Musk is like, I don't know, infinite tank. I have no idea to this day. Like if, if I was in his body and in his brain, I would have been dead at 32, right? Like that's just the amount of intensity that guys move forward with is completely insane. So they put him at the top. Then it's sort of the called executive group that has been there for a while. J.B. Straubel, let's throw him in there. Drew Baglino, Zach Kirkhorn. Those guys are just like freaking badasses and crazy. So each person has a different tank. And um, those people that are coming in, they have a full tank. And you also have varying sizes of tanks. And when you have a company that's very good at, say, putting promoting people and pushing people forward and ensuring that they're working on the thing that's going to be maximally valuable for the company, this, this engine keeps going. This engine keeps going. And if somebody really does feel like they don't want to be there anymore, then that person either decides to leave or say they get filtered out through the, through the process of ensuring there's high standards. And then you keep this company going. You keep this company going. And as long as you have a leadership group that's really upholding those core values, I'm of the opinion that most humans can achieve that. I, I really do think 80% plus of the human population can be an absolute and utter rock star, like completely and so much more valuable than probably they think of themselves. And I saw that come to life at that company. It's like where, where it pushes you to push your own boundaries. Like it's, it's a place where people almost like realize their full potential. It was for me. It was for me. So I think there's also like a thing in there that says, how much does it require the individual to be, quote, you know, self-driven, super hungry? And how much of it is a company that uh, essentially has an environment that brings that out of you because every human has it, I think. And just those circumstances really allow the maximum number of people to bring that out of themselves, you know? Uh, so there's also that. And the balance, keeping that balance with folks leaving and folks coming in new, I think it's very important to ensure that the long-term, the long-term success of a company like Tesla is very important because humans over time, and I'm a very big believer in this as well, I think we tend towards, towards comfort and lack, and lack of pain. And that's completely okay. Like it's, if anything, should be encouraged, right? And um so maybe we don't want people at the company for more than X number of years, you know, outside of very few exceptions. It's healthy in a way. So I also think about that, you know, also think about that because you think about like take a Ford or a GM or any other company that has really tenured people. Mm. These companies are slow. They're very slow. They, they're hesitant to change. It's more about retaining the status quo that works versus taking a hammer and seeing how we can do it better. So that the, and I think humans, the, the average number of humans in a later stage in their life tend towards that thinking by default, which also bleeds into the business culture. And so 
that's another flip side of it too, is that maybe you do want a little bit of burnout. Maybe you do want a little bit of people leaving. Yeah, it sucks for sure. But thinking about the maximization of value for the world, and if, if really this is important for people to have a company that does that, maybe that's just part of the equation, you know? And of course, nobody should ever be unfair. Nobody should ever be like, yo, work until you die. Hell no, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is like, the, if the individual chooses to work that hard that they burn themselves out, Maybe that's just part of the equation to allow new blood to come in and, you know, keep going at the speed of light. Does that what, make what's, sense? What, what's absolutely <laughs> what's 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 the average uh, tenure like? Um, you've been there four years. Is is that yeah something you would say is 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 the average? Probably. Or, or, no. Probably. Yeah. Four years. Um, I mean, my my old boss Greg, he he was there for almost nine. Oh wow. Um. I know people in it that have been there for over six. Yeah, tenure. It depends on the, on the type of role too, you know. So like like a factory line worker, I don't know how long their tenure is. It's probably much less than four. Mm. Probably closer to like two, if I were to guess. I'm just pulling numbers out of my ass. Nobody take me like. Nobody in Bloomberg should be running a story on this. Okay, like it's literally out of my ass. But I think the engineering groups, the leadership groups, sort of the groups that are maybe um, more in a leadership role, that are working on new things a lot of the times, those might be there a little bit longer. Hmm. So I would say, and, and and the four is another one. It's like a interesting sort of year because after four years, when I was working at the company, that's when your initial uh, stock compensation hmm. thing vests fully, right? And so for me, I'm like, okay, so like <laughs> that's sort of I'm I'm gonna be completely transparent. That was one of the things that sort of like started itching at my back mm. that said, Hey, listen, like you've done an incredible work at Tesla for four years and you've built out this incredible team that's gonna go up the ranks. And there is, you know, uh, the company is sort of gearing to go into the next stage of the distribution network. And uh, do you have that fire in you to move it forward another four years? Or is there something else distracting you or something else in your mind that you wanted to embark on that's more value, more important to you than this? And I said, yeah, you know what? There is. And that's why I left, you know? Mm. So, and and I do wonder how much of that um, sort of impacts people leaving around, around that time. And again, this is just me speculating. But at the same time, I've also gotten grants. Like I left a lot on the table. Let's just put it this way. I left a lot on the table to decide to go on this thing that I'm doing now. So, um, but at the same time, that initial allotment was life-changing, completely life-changing. And that might have a piece into sort of how people decide to leave or stay or whatever. Yeah. So, so for the people that might be interested to join Tesla, can you talk roughly, not, not exact numbers, roughly how the compensation system works? So do you get some kind yeah. of a sign-up bonus? How, how do the stock options work? Can you maybe uh, describe that a little it bit? It depends on the role. It depends mm -hmm. on the role. So it's, it's very much dependent. So if it's like, say, a um, uh, like a factory line worker, uh, a material handler sort of thing, I don't think you're going to be have access to the type of negotiating that, say, an engineer does, right? But but the way the company works is that they, from my experience, they're very competitive when it comes to uh, matching the pricing for those roles in those like the where, where they are regionally from what i experience but then what they do the lever they pull is as as you achieve more and more valuable things at the company you get uh I, in my opinion that we're very fair in compensating for that 
or at the very least they were always open to hearing what you know like i, I had to a couple of times been like hey listen like we should make we should work something out because i feel like i'm bringing a lot of value and they're like okay let's talk you know and then mm. we'd land on a number and we move forward so but a lot of that is in stock and this is where the tesla equation is different than the other ones the long-term potential of the company appears to be very very large and for the last say since the inception of the company that stock has been a very i think crucial part of ensuring that people were uh, compensated fairly uh and sometimes more than fairly you know so that's how it works and i and i don't want to get too much into specific numbers because they they could very well be wrong because i haven't been in the company since like mm -hmm. li literally over a year ago so they may have changed how they do this but uh this is roughly how it works yeah so roughly how 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 much of your yearly salary was in was in stock was there some kind of a uh yeah. distribution so the longer the longer i was at the company the more of my more of my salary was stock than than mm. say my compensation i mean it was my last year there was quite large uh stock because when i when i joined the company i I uh, negotiated a, uh, I was willing, I took a huge pay cut. <laughs> mm. I negotiated, I said, dude, I am so passionate. Just get me to this number and then make up the rest with stock. And they're like, cool, we'll do it. And so that stock grant when I joined the company was quite large. Mm -hmm. And then over time, it became a sort of balloon into this very uh, much bigger number than it was. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, but But that was my that was my prerogative. Like I chose to go that route. You know, there may have been people that decided mm -hmm. to just accept sort of the initial offer, mm -hmm. or I was very vocal about saying, "Hey, like I'm just going to save you time. If you can't get to this number, I'm probably not going to join. Just giving mm -hmm. you a heads up." Yeah. I'm like, "Okay, let's talk. Let's see if we can make it work." And I would encourage everybody, everybody to have that mentality when they're looking for work. Just value yourself fairly in in your head. And then see see what see and have an open conversation. Try not to be emotional about it. Don't be egotistical about it. Just let's have an open conversation and see where it goes. I think from my experience, Tesla was very willing to have that kind of conversation. It's, I don't think it's applicable to every single role though, because you think about like uh, diff different roles. Again, factory line worker, material handler. Those are going to be a little bit tougher to have those conversations because it's literally it's a market based sort of job. Whereas the more uh, call it um i don't know even how to phrase this the ones that require maybe a little bit more unique skill sets you have the ability to have those conversations because they're mu they're much more abstract when it comes to like okay how much value can you bring because you, your exponential value could be much much higher um but the cool thing about tesla though is that if you do join as a factory line worker or, or material handler once you're in the company dude like you have a lot of pathways to get make your job way bigger than it is just by going out of your way to improve things that are around you, you know, and working with your leader to get that time allotment so you can work on that. Um, so that was what, what's very special about the company. You could start as a material handler, but then like within two years, you could be freaking leading an engineering group. <laughs> it's great. It's so cool. It's so cool. You know, most of our... Uh, uh, and would you say the base compensation, like the average is is uh, like similar to, to other companies? Is it like market-based yes. or is it... Or is it better, like the philosophy that Ford had, which paid like I don't know double or five times the, the price for fa factory workers when they started with their volume production back in the day? Um, what, what's their philosophy like? So, so basically market based, or yeah, the, the, for my experience was market based. But then um, the 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 incentive is the, the more value you create, the more stocks we're going to throw at you. 
and that's I mean that's that's very typical I think for like a tech startup type or a you know sort of mentality. Uh, it just so happens that this thing is like one of the largest manufacturers in the world <laughs> that's applying that sort of mentality, which is really cool. It's really cool. But that's yeah, it's market based, and then the company sort of rewards you the the more value you bring. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you feel yeah. you have been rewarded fairly over Hell your four yeah. years? Yeah. My goodness, I'm so grateful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so great. I mean, at the same time, though, I did take a, I did take quite a bit of a risk joining the company when I did. So I was a, uh, I was a director of business intelligence and pricing on my previous gig at Phillips, mm -hmm. and I was there for seven years. I was literally, you know, I reported to the CEO. I reported uh, for a period of time to the CFO, Declan, who's like one of my best mentors. If you ever watch this, Declan, thank you so much. Uh, you know, Blaine, Cheryl, Jess, Lon, John. There's so many people out there that I can thank. You know. And uh, Brian, like these were all different executives that I reported to at any given time. So I was like on a pathway to become an executive at the company. And mm. uh, I decided to, I was so passionate about, I was the Tesla guy at this company, right? It was like, as far as I shut up about Tesla already. <laughs> and I'm like, no, but you don't understand. You don't understand. It's going to be so amazing. And Tesla stock is so cheap. And it's going to be like 10x in 10 years, blah, blah, blah. Like I was this psycho person, right? And I still am. <laughs> but um, for me to jump over to Tesla was, was a huge risk, I think, for me. And uh, looking back, but I was just so so passionate and so sold that this company was going to be incredibly successful that I was willing to take a, 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 a huge risk in my potential earnings as a, as a person, as an individual, you know, financially. And then I also said, you know what, if it doesn't work out, I'll just figure it out. Learning lesson, uh, uh, you know, I'll move forward from there. So, uh, but I think that risk taking and being willing to forego a lot of my salary for stock that could have been zero <laughs> at one point in time was ultimately what allowed me to be more than fairly compensated. And uh, yeah, I'm just so, so grateful. I'm so yeah, I mean, grateful you, for You joined in 2017, right? Yeah. I mean, you had the, the production hell, you had the short attacks in 2019 and all, of, wild. all of those crazy, crazy times. I mean, it's, it's easy to look back when the stock 10x from that, but uh, those times were really tough. I mean, I've been a shareholder since 2017 as well, and uh, those were yeah. really tough times. Brutal incredibly brutal and you know having a huge percentage of your net worth in that story and then working you know 80 hour weeks while you have a small business and then when you come home and there are people telling you you should leave the company because it's going to go bankrupt and everywhere you mm. read is like hey elon musk is a crazy person and you know he's out there calling people pedophiles <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know which was a mistake and i think he agrees like but like that sort of um environment was extremely difficult to navigate mentally but every time i went into work the second i stepped in and i saw other people's faces like we're all in this together and making like we believe in this thing like let's just make it happen so we can prove everybody wrong was the most rewarding professional experience i've ever had in my life hmm. absolutely like it makes me emotional thinking about it because it was so transformational and in, in sort of how i thought about what it meant to bring value and what it meant to work on something you believed in, you know, it's, and, and those people that I worked with, they will be my friends forever because we, we shared such a special moment together and that, that hardship, that super difficult time, in a sense, I'm most grateful for that 
because it again it proved that you can do so many things that are um that seem impossible and when the whole world is against you it feels like you know you can still get it done and then the youtube community and the twitter community and the thing that started organically appearing out of nowhere with your rob mowers your dave lees your kim paquettes your k10s your omars your galleys like these people that started coming out of nowhere and flourishing and sort of being like that outside voice i feel like for the people internally that were so like like please somebody give us something to work towards please mm. somebody tell us that this is worth it they started appearing and then i personally i was like fuck yeah we are totally in this and we can totally do it those people do not understand or even worse they want to stop us because this is going to disrupt them let's freaking make it happen and I think that mentality was uh, was quite prevalent within the company during those years. Uh, sort of the do or die, we're going to prove you wrong. Fuck you. Like, you can't tell us what we can or can't do. We're going to get it done. That sort of killer instinct came out from everybody. And then the rest is history. It's freaking awesome. Absolutely. How, yeah. how transparent was, was, was the company or is the company? I heard that... Every employee has has access to like all the company numbers, dashboards, and things like that. So was it clear that um, during that hard time that Tesla was weeks away, like from bankruptcy? <laughs> was that was that was that clear? Or, Not to uh, us. <laughs> no. So are you, are you referring to the to the Joe Justice sort of like uh, the different data sets that he talks about? Yeah. So exactly. what you're referring? Yeah. So I don't know if that was more of a manufacturing thing, mm. uh, potentially, right? And I highly doubt. And I'm not saying what Joe's saying is incorrect, but I, I really do highly doubt that there were there would be that much transparency into the company's financials because that could create some very big unintended consequences in time of like say some dire straits. Just mm -hmm. in my head, how I'm thinking about it as a business leader. But um, but there are there were very much so on. I'll talk about my side of the business because I was literally in charge of building these out. So I and our team, I should say, was constantly thinking of ways on how to bring more data to the teams that are working on stuff that helps them see what they're doing and how it's impacting the business positively or negatively, and then give them data sets that allow them to find opportunities to work on as well. So that was our, pro like, like that was our directive, like that, that stemmed from our team. This is what we have to do. And I know that's the sort of culture that a lot of data teams take in Tesla, but I don't know, like, for example, I didn't have a, uh, a dashboard that I knew of that I could access and look at real time what our, uh, what our production is or what our deliveries are. I didn't have mm -hmm. access to that um, personally. Uh, we, we learned that through the quarterly earnings, <laughs> you know, or, or Elon tweets something. Oh, okay, that's the data set. We didn't have access to that. But again, I wasn't a part of the manufacturing process, so we could have very different tools that we didn't have access to. And what yeah. about the, the internal organization? So, so how does a company like that organize itself? Again, I think Joe Justice uh, talked about the dashboards where you, you see like the biggest problems and everybody can, can post and, and yeah, vote up or I, I don't know how, how to imagine it. Um, can you talk a little bit about how to prioritize your work when literally yeah. you could do anything? So, so how do you see the most valuable thing and, and tackle that first? Yeah, again, our tool sets were very different from that mm. perspective. So the way the way we approached it is the there was a leadership group that was constantly trying their best 
to figure out how to make things faster, better, safer. If anything, I should I should reverse that 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 uh, that list. Safer, faster, uh, better. I don't know. Safer and better. Just call it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, we would we would uh, say okay. I'll give you an example. The outbound process that I was talking about. We had a certain flow that was happening. That was uh, people were like, yo, this kind of sucks. Like, I wish it was a little bit easier. Like, if we make this change here, we'll go faster. And then my team would be like, okay, let me take some data to see what you're talking about from the system to see if we can plan out some things. And let's let's pull you aside for like half an hour to an hour and try to build this process out and test it right away. Right. So that's how it worked. It was we were plugged into our every single one of our teams that were actually doing the work, every not the leadership group, the people that were actually doing the work. And then we ask them what can be done better? What sucks about this process? You know, what's 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 hurting you here? And then they would explain something and then we wouldn't put it down on a list. We would say, okay, I'll be right back. And then we go get the data and then Mm -hmm. we come back and we're like, okay, so this is what we're seeing. Uh, we think, you know, this is probably correct. Can we pull you aside for like, say half an hour to an hour, maybe not today, tomorrow, and then kind of work on a thing that could make it go faster. And then we give them that, that ability, then they make it. And then we're like, okay, let's try it. So then we implement a part of that in the process, a thought process. It turns out to be flying. And I'm like, okay, tomorrow we're changing the whole process. And then boom. And this is just, you do this with everything constantly, 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 constantly. This is how our group worked. And Mm. it, it was really born out of how Greg, again, the, the leader of that warehouse, how he thought about continuous improvement, you know? And there's a million things here that, you know, there's Kaizen and there is Six Sigma and there's all these like, you know, I personally feel like those are just buzzwords that don't really mean anything because you implement those things at a company whose culture is not receptive to that type of process. It's all the culture that drives the improvement. It's not is not having people that are six sigma verify you know uh, blue belt black belt whatever it's like does your culture want to change <laughs> it's as simple as that mm. does your culture want to change yes okay cool change just do it right it's very like rocks and you know stones and sticks and stones very like archaic sort of sort of thought process but it was effective because everybody was bought into change and and that's how we did it that's how we did it so um but it stemmed from the leadership group and that leadership that Greg had, which again was supercharged by the culture of Tesla that said, okay, every single day, what can we do better? What can we do better? What can we do better? And then try, 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 try. Yeah. It's, and then over time, what happens is you build momentum where people really want to try and try mm-hmm. new things because they can see that when we make a change, it's a positive change. Then it becomes like this addicting game. You know, there was a, uh, like a nine month to one year time period while I was there that we were making changes probably every week, like Mm. significant changes that a typical, like say warehouse environment would take six months to nine months to implement that change. We were doing those changes every single week, every single week. Oh, this uh, outbound floor is configured wrong. Okay, cool. I need seven volunteers tonight that have a forklift license to move everything around. Okay, cool. And then you walk into the warehouse and it looks completely different. <laughs> like we did that every week. <laughs> it's crazy. Like it's completely and utterly insane. 
and and the teams that were in charge of driving those changes it wasn't like seven engineers and two process people and you know an hr person and all these like teams of a thousand people trying to make the change it was greg myself uh, a couple other folks and a couple people that did the process uh every single day that had ideas and we just did that every day boom 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 every day every day every day it's a uh, it's work it's time but i don't know any other way of doing it you know if somebody can teach me a better way of doing it, let me know. Because, but that's that's the way we did it. Yeah. Did you have any direct contact with Elon? Because Elon, I think, in internal emails, always encourages if something doesn't work, yes. contact me directly, etc. Have you done that? Yeah, I, I sent him three or four emails, and he replied to every single one of them. Yeah, which wow. gave me sort of that confidence of okay, this dude actually gives a shit. You know, like he's he's he has you know one of them was. I don't know if I should say exactly what it was. It was like a, one of them was an improvement around how to make uh, FSD data come in a little bit easier. Another one was around the, I think the stock split. I was like, hey, listen, like consider doing a stock split because you have a lot of like folks that can't afford buying it through the employee stock purchase program. And he's like, yeah, it's, you make a good point. And then two weeks later, there was a stock split. So I'm like, okay, I guess it was, I'm just kidding. It was not, I highly <laughs> doubt it was my idea. I'm a thousand percent sure they already had it in the works. And a couple of other ones were like process improvement things, you know, but he replied to every single one of them and he, and he took the time out of his day to make that happen, you know, and, how, uh, how, how, how does he, how does he manage that? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not, I have no idea. And then he manages to even, and then he manages to complete video games and everything. I mean, it's just, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he's what you or I or anybody else views as like leisure time. He's probably just his leisure time is probably working on a Tesla. Yeah. I don't freaking know. I have no idea how the guy's brain works. Like, I, I just think, I think he has built a framework for himself where he has businesses that are really successful where it's literally like playtime for him and that playtime sometimes probably brings a lot of pain because you're faced with things you don't want to do and nobody likes doing things they don't want to do and that's probably the part of the job that he hates that is like fuck i don't want to deal with like he's very openly said like i hate being ceo like but i have to be ceo mm. you know i'd rather work on design and engineering so I think I think when he is in these like really good moods that you can clearly tell the guy's like really enjoying his life or whatever, the the percentage of time that he's at work that feels like play is probably much greater than the percentage of time that the work doesn't feel like play. And I mm. think that's he's figured out that equation for himself. You know, that like I think Jeff Bezos called it work life harmony or something instead of work life balance, which is kind of a cheesy thing to say, but I kind of get it if you can make the things that you're passionate about feel like play instead of work. And so answering random people's emails at work could be part of that play. It's like, Hey, I wonder how, I wonder what kind of feedback I'm getting from my people that I'm not plugged into. You know, it's a good business practice. If you really think about it, if you'd like, Hey, anybody send me an email and then reading through the email gives you a signal that says, Hey, these groups are, ha are like having a really tough time. Then you send it to your leader. It says, Hey, why am I getting 30 emails from this group out in whatever Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, that they're having a hard time? What the hell's going on here? What are you doing? Go fix it. So in, in a way, it's a really good feedback me mechanism. And like, how, maybe he's a very fast reader too. So he just, or he has somebody that like filters emails to him that he, he, they feel like are valuable for him to read. 
Do you have so, any insight how he processes that those emails? Like Jeff Bezos no sends idea. These, these these famous question mark emails to his to his managers. Um, did you have any experiences? Uh, no, no idea. Okay. But but I I feel like the question mark email probably probably exists a lot. You know, like <laughs> what's going on? What's going on? I bet you that's uh, during that 2017 to 2021 period <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. of like the crazy FUD, it was probably a lot of those, right? Yeah. Like, and like trying to make sure the company is getting to where it needs to be. It's like, what the fuck's happening here? What's happening here? What's happening here? What's happening? <laughs> Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that, you know? But um, yeah, I, I have no idea how his day-to-day uh, -day process, like what it looks like. And what's the what's the meeting culture like? I also saw internal emails where he encourages employees to leave meetings, not attend meetings, uh, basically battle meetings, which is really healthy. Um, but is, is there some kinds of a, is is there something like an all hands video meeting or something with Elon, or how does he communicate with the with the with his employees? Yeah, there's a quarterly there's a quarterly all hands that happens. Um, I think it's quarterly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's quarterly. It happens after the earnings report, I think, like a week mm. or two after the earnings report. Elon goes on a stage in Fremont somewhere, or probably Austin now, and then they sort of live cast it to the entire company. Only we can see it. Like it can't get leaked or mm -hmm. it shouldn't get leaked, but sometimes it does. And um, yeah, he just talks about openly about what the company's working on. Here's towards what we're working towards. He brings up people from different teams to talk about it. And he has a stage of like employees and I think they can ask questions. So every week that gets done uh, at the company from him. But then at the same time, the way I experienced the culture was like the, the different teams, the different subgroups call it that are in charge of say supply chain, distribution, manufacturing, whatever. Those uh, folks have leaders that are, that at the very least should be talking to their teams every single day. And uh, so like Elon, I think Elon gets too much credit to be completely honest. I think Elon gets way too much credit, especially in respects to Tesla's success. Because you really think about the, and I think he would agree with this statement. Think about the, the, to, the total amount of hours that Elon puts in every single week at Tesla. It can't be more than 40 hours a week right now. It just cannot be. I, unless the dude is literally not sleeping, it's physically impossible, I think. So 40 hours of one person. And then you think about the other 100 and I think 10,000, 120,000 people, they're worth putting in also at least 40 hours a week. So as a percentage of total work, Elon ain't doing shit. You know, he's not. It's, it's a lot of people at the company that are moving the company forward, that are making decisions autonomously and are pushing that ship forward based on the culture that he has built. So yeah, of course, he gets a lot of credit for that. But the the momentum of the of the company very much, I don't think is, is Elon dependent. It's the culture that he has built that's pushing that uh, ship forward. So yeah, I just, I just, I feel like, and I don't know where I was going with that, but it just sort of like sprung up in my mind because a lot of times we talk about, well, you know, Elon, like, like he, how does he have time for these things? And I'm like, it's because a lot of people are doing the work, <laughs> you know, like that, that's just unless he has like literally like from Harry Potter, what is it? The prisoner of Azkaban, Hermione had that freaking clock that allowed her to go back in time and do more things. Time like, turner. If he, yeah. Yeah. If they can, if he has that, then okay, then what I'm saying is bullshit and it doesn't make any sense. Right. But I just, I think that's how it is. It's just a master delegator and he's a master at building cultures and he is a magnet for people that want to make a difference. And when you empower those people, you have magic. And that's what Tesla is.
and that's what SpaceX is, and that's what Neuralink is, and all the companies that he has. Twitter is that now, you know, which is can't be understated. Um, yeah, it's just it's just wild, you know. And it's important, I think, also to ensure that when we say these things, we don't view him as a some sort of like, oh my God, he is better than all of us. I don't think that's the case. I just think he has mastered a certain skill set that max that maximizes humanity's potential to create valuable work that is incredibly valuable and should be celebrated every single day. But it doesn't mean that he's good at absolutely everything either. So I think that's and it's so easy to get lost in that, you know, because you're like, holy shit, this is incredible. And I'm not this is I'm not projecting this on anybody. I'm just kind of creating commentary here. But it's a. Uh, it's just fascinating to watch. It's so crazy. It's so weird. Yeah. So how long do you think that culture would be able to survive without him? Yeah. So is it is it so deep, like in the DNA, that it would like self-replicate and, and uh, continue on its own? Or would at one point, if he doesn't oversee it and makes sure that it's that it's clean and maintained, that it would start to to crumble and bureaucracy and other things would start to creep in. What's what's your feeling? That's a phenomenal question. Um, my gut tells me that the longer Tesla or the longer Elon's at Tesla, the chances of that becomes less and less because then it's giving him the ability and the leadership group that's that's there to nurture that culture of ensuring that we never lose focus of what's really important and always be willing to force like uh, i think under carpathian lex friedman said this best like elon fights entropy every single day and he's never seen anything that's better than him at fighting entropy so that culture that that's that's what needs to be secured what how can we maximize the number of people that work at the company that uphold those 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 values that make him almost superhuman <laughs> in a way. So the longer he's there to ensure that culture is, quote unquote, let's call it touching as many people as humanly possible, the, I think you maximize the chances of that next person or group of people to ensure that those values get upheld exists. Um, if he were to say, call it right now and say, I'm done with tests, I'm going to move on. I think there's a 50-50 chance that the company upholds those values into the future without him and a 50% chance that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Only because there are still two giant projects that are really world-changing that still haven't been finished that he can use to secure that mentality. So FSD and the bot. Mm -hmm. If those things get completed then I think the, I don't know, the chance goes to 80%. Because now you have self-driving cars everywhere and the bot is doing a lot of physical labor, like literally all physical labor for you over time. Then it becomes much easier to have a company where you can uphold those those things because you, you really, <laughs> the percentage of humans to value creation becomes much smaller. So you have the ability to single out those humans that would uphold those values, right? That's how I'm thinking about it over time. Um, but at the same time, perhaps that's what makes Elon Musk so unique is that fight of entropy and maybe it just can't be replicated. So there is a chance that it just all goes to shit or or it just it just turns into Apple. 
You know, Apple is a fine company. It's an amazing company. Tim Cook should deserve deserves a lot of credit for being a master of uh, value creation and just enough innovation to be at the perceived forefront of cutting edge technology. Tim Tim Cook is a master at that, and he should be lauded. And like the last thing that happened with Twitter last week, where Elon was on on Twitter freaking trying to go to war with Apple, and Tim's like, "Just, just dude, come over, like." Just come to Apple campus. I don't know who who initiated it, but at least he never closed the door. He left the door open. And now it's turned into this, uh, probably a, a baseline for a better relationship in the future. Um, Tesla might turn into that 10, 20 years from now. It very well could. But while T- Elon's at the company, I think that culture of fighting entropy will exist. It will not, if anything, it will be its biggest differentiator versus anybody else because ultimately that's what creates the change. That's what creates the separation between them and Ford and GM and literally every other, other company that exists in that realm. So um, once he decides to step down, like once he has eliminated his influence, once he's made it zero, like 0% influence, then that's when I start thinking about, okay, I need to create signals for myself that say, is this culture being upheld? And if I start getting signals that it's not, that's when what makes Tesla so special, uh, that's where it ends. And I try to find a different one. I try to find uh, a company that's maybe upholding those values so that I can understand how they're doing that into the future. And I, I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not, I, I can't tell what the future is, but that's how I'm thinking about it. I think in a way it's 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 always somehow dependent on the owner operator in, in a yeah. company like that. And I think it's the normal life cycle of a of, of any organism, be the company or a or a, an animal or a or a human being. Um, yeah. yeah, just the life cycle. And and I think that's totally okay. But I, I, I agree with you that the longer he stays, that the longer basically the time that Tesla can still thrive uh, will be. And I would say if he if he would leave today, I would be totally fine of holding the stock another 10 years, I think. But sure. maybe 20, 20, 30 years, I'm I'm not so sure. But 10 years, uh, I think is pretty, pretty safe for me. Yeah, no, that's a that's a I think I agree as well. I think I agree um, because that, that leadership group there that sort of called first generation leadership group is pretty fucking good. Like Zach Drew and all those guys are like rock stars. You got uh, what was it? Dan from the semi team. You can tell I, these guys are rock yeah. stars. Rockstars, every Dan single was, one of them. Dan was fantastic. The presentation yeah. was great. Yeah, that is the type of person that's everywhere at Tesla, and that's wow. that was my biggest takeaway. Was like, dude, like I can see a Dan everywhere. There's Dan's yeah. everywhere. Like Dan is everywhere. That's what makes Tesla so special. Dan is everywhere. Drew is everywhere. Zach is everywhere. Uh, all these like like all these people that are so like they seem so real and so like human. But you can clearly tell that they have a very high ceiling for potential and to make a difference. Uh, it's just they're just everywhere. They're everywhere. Man, woman, whatever. Like, doesn't matter what background they're from. The most diverse, and then they all have those those sort of like that Dan mold of like oh. just a badass that's trying to make a difference. But they're also very human. <laughs> it's weird. Absolutely. So what's, weird. What, what's yeah. your what's your best guess? Just of of the, uh, just uh, shooting from the from the hip. Who who would be a? I do that a lot. <laughs> a, a CEO CEO replacement. If Elon would step down or whatever would happen to him, 
Um, who would you think most likely to take it over? Someone like Drew or what, what's your feeling? So the way I think about it is it depends what step down means. If, if it means uh, Elon stops being CEO, but then he um, say, is still, still leading engineering and design, then in my head, I think someone like Zach makes the most sense mm. because you still have Elon. Like you wouldn't ha want to have an engineer CEO and also your best engineer to lead engineering design because that that's just like that person's, let's just call it what it is. Elon is probably the best engineer in the world right now. You wouldn't want somebody at the top of the company to create friction between those two. It makes no sense. So what do you, who do you put up there? The way I think about it is you put somebody in charge that's going to be able to best manage what the company will create in the future. And if my gut is right, and if your gut is right, I think you and I are probably on the same page here, is that Tesla's going to make so much fucking money in the next five to 10 years that it's going to be absurd. It makes no sense how much money they're going to make, especially if full self-driving and the bot come to fruition, the equation explodes. So in my head, it makes sense to have somebody at the top of the company that will be best capable of managing that. And I think Zach has shown a lot of great, you know, sort of thinking and innovative thinking from a financial perspective. The fact that they bought Bitcoin in the first place was like mind blowing to me, but it sort of like shares a sort of DNA from the company that says we're not afraid to try stuff, right? A lot of investors that are that are in the company short or medium term are going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? And their things are valid. Like there are shareholders. They have every right to voice that opinion. But it, it has more of a long-term thought process on how to manage assets and cash and, I don't know, money, put it that way. So I think somebody like him at the top would make a lot of sense as long as Elon is still involved in design and manufacturing or design and engineering. If Elon is 100% removed from the company, then I think somebody at the top of the company that could push that culture of uh, um, anti-entropy and ensuring that we're just constantly willing to push everything forward that's that it needs to be that person and i don't know anybody to be completely honest that would be able to do that because i just don't know anyone of that stature so i don't know if it's drew i don't know if it's dan i don't know if it's um could be jb maybe jb comes back maybe you know they buy maybe tesla buys redwood materials and jb comes back and then that becomes the sort of pathway for JB to become CEO of Tesla, that could work. That could work. So yeah, I don't know. But I think we, I, I, my, my feeling is it would need to be someone from the inside, right? I see no 100%. chance that it would be someone from the outside. Yeah. As long as if Elon's not there. Exactly. If Elon's, if Elon's, there, if Elon's there, it yeah. could be a business person like a Tim Cook yeah. type or a Gwyn Shotwell type or yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like the, the SpaceX thing works great because Gwen is doing all the shit Elon doesn't want to do. And Gwen is phenomenally good at it. Like she's a badass, right? Mm -hmm. But Elon's in there making rockets. That's what he likes to do. <laughs> he makes rockets. So if 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 Elon's there, a Deese, a Team Cook type would be very well suited for that role. Or like a Zach type that I think would be even better suited because of what the company is going to do with, uh, with the value creation standpoint. But from a value creation standpoint, but um yeah i agree with you you think these you. you think these could join the company would he be a cultural fit you think 
What impressed me about Dies is that he was heading a company and from what I understand about German culture and German business is that they're very, very much like very process oriented. Everything has to fit. Every square has to fit in the right hole. And we can't disturb that because we need to know exactly what we're doing every step of the way. And we're going to go this direction, exactly this way. And these are all the steps we have to take off, right? That type of process removes energy and time spent into just being crazy and trying stuff, right? So what Dies was doing at Volkswagen was unique because he was the anti, call it German culture in Germany, where he was very openly saying, if we don't change quickly, this company's screwed. If we don't go towards electric vehicles as quickly as possible, this company's screwed. And the software thing that happened at Volkswagen, I bet you a million dollars what happened there is that that type of culture was trying to be pushed. We're like, let's just make it happen. Put it in the cars. We'll get better. We'll figure out how to make it happen. But when you're trying to install that type of culture in a company whose really culture is anti that, you have bullshit software. And that's what happens. That's how bad, that's how bad things, bad products come to fruition. You have two sides that are trying to fight it out. And the one side of like, let's push forward and make stuff happen as quickly as humanly possible loses. And you're just stuck with a bullshit product at the end. It's that's the unfortunate, like the Volkswagen software is the poster child of how this works. So these trying to make change, but the culture is like, no, nope, we're not going to do it. It's a so, classic, it's a classic yeah. innovators dilemma. I mean, it's a hundred percent innovators dilemma 101. And it's really, yeah. it's, it's really profound because it was the number one business book that Steve Jobs read every year and recommended. And yeah. it's really so spot on. And that's why I believe so much more in Tesla because it's so much harder, even if everything is right at Toyota and everyone else, even if everything would be right, it would still be so hard to disrupt yourself, to, to uh, cannibalize yourself, to yes. uh, change your path dependency and all of that. It's so hard. Uh, so. Um, but yeah, and it's so much harder if, if the culture is, is not uh, where it should be. So uh, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. I um, uh, yeah, don't, don't see much, much future in the, in the auto, yeah. auto, auto industry. I, I think um, the, the brands will stay, the form factors will stay, but in a way the technology will be like an oligopoly at best or a monopoly um, yeah. if, if we think that's uh, yeah, what, what will happen come true. What I would say is like one of the things I try to do, and again, I sound like the craziest hyperbole when it comes to Tesla. And maybe I am. Maybe I'm incredibly biased. I'm sure I'm very biased. But it's born out of a ridiculous amount of research and, and trying to fight my own biases where they reinforced <laughs> my opinion about the company's likeliest outcome. Right. So my biggest recommendation would be if anybody who doesn't understand or I shouldn't say doesn't understand is not sold that the Tesla story will succeed or is not sold that the competition will likely not come like these like very big dif differences between, say, the bear and the bull camp. Every single person that is call it on the other side of the Tesla camp, I strongly, strongly encourage you to read the innovators dilemma. Like, just please read it. Just read it. And I don't want to say it's going to change your mind or it's going to like just read it and see if you can get some value out of that story of very well-documented things 
that have happened to old standing companies and see if you can find parallels in real life. Volkswagen is a perfect example. GM is another one. Mainstream media with Twitter is another one. So you see it appear everywhere in life when you're looking around. Try it. Just try it. And anybody who hasn't read the book that is pro Tesla, you need to read that right, right now. Turn off this stream. Actually, I'm kidding. Hit the like, <laughs> hit the subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> but it is no, it is required absolutely, reading. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. it's not it's not only that, it's it's really um Steve Jobs. Um I think it's really good to study also how Steve Jobs then eventually did it and solved it at Apple, because Apple yeah. had the, the very same problem. I mean, they had to disrupt themselves multiple times, cannibalize um their revenue streams, their products. And he always did it. Um, he always took a team of like 100 people, um, a completely new organization, and they built uh, the iPhone, they built the original Macintosh and things like that. So I think that's how you solve it. But it really needs someone at, uh, yeah, as, a, as a CEO, as a leader of the company, uh, preferably the owner operator who really pushes it through. It, it cannot right. grow grassroots from from bottom up it really needs to come from from the from the leader a hundred percent yeah it's it's almost like you have to have that you, you it, but then the like the question becomes like how how can they instill that to other people right and that that is what secures the long-term potential of the company and like again apple is like a good thing to study because i would argue that they're not being nearly as innovative as they used to be they're, they're so innovative. Like the, the new AirPods legitimately are sick. And the reason why I say that is, so I, I play guitar and, you know, we jam and we won't go jam this, like it's loud. It is freaking loud. And so I usually wear earplugs, right? With the new AirPods, the transparency mode, it takes the loudest noises and it brings it down to a healthy hearing level. So when I go jam with my guitar super loud, because, you know, we have a drummer and drums are so freaking loud. Instead of plugging my ears up and I can barely hear anything and I just kind of figure out what I'm hearing, these are now have turned into live in-ear monitors where like I can hear everything clearly, but it doesn't damage my ears. That's insane. Like that is magic. All right. That's a very innovative thing. But it's it's a very small percentage of the population that gets to enjoy those innovations. Whereas a Tesla, those innovations are being enjoyed by everybody. And when the iPhone came out, everybody was enjoying the innovations. When the iPad came out, everybody was enjoying the innovations. But this like bring the volume down to a level where it doesn't hurt my ears and I can hear the band clearly is an amazing innovation. But only me and like maybe, I don't know, a million people total in the world can enjoy that. Maybe it's the innovation curve has sort of tailed to the minimum number of people being impacted by it. Whereas innov innovations impacting the maximum amount of people becomes a, uh, a completely different um, sort of equation. And I'm curious to see if Apple would ever get back to that. Because uh, if they can, then boy, like that, that Steve Jobs mentality is very much alive and well, but I just don't see it. Unfortunately, yeah, me, me, me neither, me neither. Yeah, I also love. Have you read the Hundred Baggers book by Chris Mayer? No, um, it's it's a study of all stocks uh, that hundred uh, x uh, on the stock markets, and he tried to find similarities. And the similarities are basically you need to have an owner operator who owns like 10, 20 percent of the company. Uh, you need to grow twenty percent per year. You need to have an infinite runway, so basically unlimited mm. time. And um, all of these boxes also tick uh, tick for Tesla, of course. So uh, that's Great. that's my that's that's my investing uh, strategy. Um, so uh, 
let's let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about FSD and and robot taxis. How how yeah. likely do you see that Tesla will ever reach level five and really true robot taxis? And like in a like probabilistically, um, what what would you put the the probability to it? And then when would you just from your gut feeling, when would you see that uh, come come to life? When when is it realistic? Yeah. So level five to me is about as as sure as it can get. So I won't say a hundred percent because. Uh, I, I said uh, on one of the streams I was on, I was on with Yashu on Hit That Bid, and I said 100%. And people are like, I lost all respect for Farzad. How dare he see 100%? I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm just conveying confidence here. So I'm like, just confident, very confident. So I'll say, um, I don't know, 90, 99.69%, okay? I'm, I'm very, very confident. I'm very, very confident. And, and the reason why is because I've watched Full Soft Driving evolve from uh, when I was at the company, I had one of the earliest builds before I went public. So I had one of the very, very first like employee software updates for full self-driving. And I saw it go from like, wow, it can make left turns. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> to navigating very complex uh, situations on the road where it's not obvious for a human what to do even. you know, It still makes mistakes for sure. But... It's a very clear improvement, and it feels as of late that it's getting better faster and more impactfully. So I, I do these um, – I've started doing these wife tests where uh, I go with my wife now to try, uh, try out full self-driving, the newest versions. And then she said, holy crap, I think they can solve this next year. And she like she says it how it is. Like I, I get two strikes with full self driving. If I have to disengage twice, she's like, "Do not turn that shit on ever again." <laughs> like maybe next time on our drive, turn that shit off. Or sometimes I'll have it on. She's like, "Can you turn it off? I don't feel like I don't feel like experiencing this right now." <laughs> you know. So <laughs> if she's saying that she she's confident that by next year they'll have it to where this thing could serve as a robo taxi, then my my alarm bells go off and says, "Wow, okay, somebody who is." typically risk adverse when it comes to being on the road. If they see this pathway, then that might be a, 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 a like an like a incorrect feedback group for me to, to sort of strengthen my bias towards it becoming true, but it's a big signal. But then the other part of it too is Tesla has a proven track record of solving things that a lot of people feel are impossible, but it really comes down to solving really hard engineering challenges or software challenges that requires a talented group of people to be willing to work as hard as they can to make it happen. And that's what full self-driving is. It's a software problem. You know, ultimately, it's just a software problem. So if you have the most talented people in the world working as hard as they can to make the software problem work, then it will work. <laughs> it's that simple. Are there any, does physics, like Elon famously says, does physics not allow this? It sure as hell does allow it because humans do it. Okay, it's solvable. All right, cool. So it's going to get done. And working at the company, I saw things that were very hard to be, like almost impossible done on a daily basis. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to get done. It'll get done. It's probably going to be later than people think. So the way I'm thinking about it now to, just solve, to answer your timeline question, I really do think Tesla will be able to operate their self-driving, some sort of self-driving fleet by the end of next year. I think I think that is a maybe in, in limited uh, places like I don't know Miami, Orlando, mm -hmm. uh, Phoenix, Austin, L.A., San Fran. 
like places where weather is likely to not be an issue, you know, like snow, for example. Mm. And then for those uh, bigger, like more corner case use cases, I feel like they'll probably release a hardware suite that's going to allow them to do that uh, probably in the next year or two. And in conjunction with RoboTaxi, which is going to be like their cheaper car, it looks like, that vehicle will come equipped with every single hardware bit that would allow them to do full self-driving absolutely anywhere and everywhere, regardless of conditions. Um, And I'm wondering if they'll make that hardware suite backwards compatible to the current fleet. I think that's going to be like something interesting to watch. But I'm not thinking about, is this going to get done? I'm thinking about how are they going to execute this? Mm. Because that, that's what I'm most interested in. It's like, how will they execute this? Because that's going to dictate the, the adoption curve of this thing. So, yeah, that's a long-winded answer to your question. I, I gave a lot of long-winded answers. I'm really sorry. But uh, that, that's, that's how right. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And uh, in, in the short term, how, how do you think will take rates um, improve? Because now with the wide release uh, all over North America, um, let's say um, with version 11, um, you will have the wide release. And so, so how, how many people of the, of the Tesla fleet in North America do you think is realistic to already buy it now for, for the 15K? It has to be proven to be useful. So that's the way I think about it. If I think the adoption rate will be mostly through the monthly subscription. Mm. I don't think it will be I don't think it will be through the purchase of the product up front because it it really maximizes the chances of somebody willing to take on the software and it changed their lives. Cuz ultimately that's what the software is going to do is going to change people's lives. It will. Mm. It, it will give people back time that before they were spending driving now they can spend it doing whatever in this square box. <laughs> and that square box is going to customize itself to what the market demands they want in that square box. That's how free markets work. So, hmm. um, But lowering the cost of admission is going to be extremely important. One of my community members, Hans, put out a tweet uh, recently where he thinks that the adoption curve of the of this is going to be driven by Tesla being offered to being able to offer very cheap, say one time monthly subscriptions, I don't know, like 50 bucks a month or something that's going to allow Tesla to put this out on as many people as humanly possible because they know it's going to work. And then people are going to be like, holy shit, I literally can't live without this. Like mm. I need this in my life. And then boom, you're done. You've won. Like that's that's the kind of lever they have. And <laughs> so when people say there's no this demand thing, I'm not even going to get into it. Um, <laughs> that's that's probably how it's, the adoption curve will turn out. So if mm. they do that, then I think a majority of Tesla owners will have FSD by the end of next year, mm. given that it's going to be actually useful and it's going to bring value to people's lives and it will make their lives better, which I think it will. Yeah. And the cur- current version, version from your own experience, um, is it already useful for you? So if you would drive without yeah. your wife, um, are you using it regularly? And and how's your experience so far? That's a that's a great question because what I, my behavior has changed from not using it because I didn't feel like <laughs> being attentive to the road to using it because I it lowered my stress level. 
because I didn't yeah. have to deal with the shit that was going on because I trusted the system to make the decisions, the correct decisions more often than I would. And so it has that equation has changed. And that's what happened with autopilot as well. So when, I remember when I had the first version of autopilot, we had a Model S back in 2016 and that one had just regular autopilot. And I remember using autopilot on the highway all the time because I literally, it brought value to my life. I didn't have to drive anymore. And so that was, that was the trigger that told me, okay, aut autopilot is going to be a game changer. Now full self-driving is starting to be that with the latest version. With 10.6931, it became that. It became the, yeah, I got this. Don't worry. Like in, 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 in situations like say like, a, like a, where there is construction, which in Austin, there's a lot of construction right now because it's booming. It, I, I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't use it here because like people here don't know how to mark lanes, bro. Like it's, I don't know. This is one of the, one of the downfalls of like having too little regulation is like, it's a fucking free for all out here. I'm like, what are you guys doing? I was on a drive and literally it looked like it was a right turning lane because of how they had the cones marked. And then there was just a wall. It was just a wall. There's like, hey, come in this way. Oh, by the way, there's a wall here. Like what's going on? So in those situations, the car is still trusting the road system to be correct. But out here, sometimes it's not. Mm. So in those places, I turn it off. But I, I'm very confident that it will actually learn those situations as well. Because when I'm thinking about like what happened there, it's like, okay, yeah, the human is inferring the right action by looking at its surroundings in front of it. And I'm like, okay, this is where all the cars are. There's no car here. So I'm just going to follow the car because <laughs> this is probably the right way. Yeah, there's nothing stopping the software from doing the same thing. So, um, yeah, it, it's changed quite a bit. And uh, that's what's made, made me extremely bullish about this. And um, it's going to be like OpenAI, I think. So, not OpenAI, excuse me. What was that one software for AlphaGo? You yeah. follow this mm -hmm. thing? Where all of a sudden it went from like not that great to literally the best Go player in the world. That's how FSD is, is turning out to be. It's going from like, you know, teenager level driving. And then one of these updates, it's going to be the greatest driver in the world. And it's going to blow people's minds. And then Tesla wins. And it's just a matter of scale. And they have the best strategy for scale. So they win. And it's, and it's not binary as well. That's, that's what convinced me actually back in the day, back in 2017, I rented the Tesla Model S for the weekend. I went with my son to, to Legoland in Germany. And I nice. also used the, the autopilot and, uh, uh, it's it already added so much value back in 2017, and the version mm -hmm. was probably the 2016 version from the US because it's it's lagging here in Europe brutally. Um, uh, the update, uh, <laughs> of course, uh, uh, because of the regulations. Yeah. But it already added so much value, and that was actually for me the trigger points to really invest in Tesla because um, to really experience it firsthand, it was an iPhone moment for me. So so that's how I think about it. Today, it's not binary. It's not you don't have autopilot or you have it 100%. There is a lot of in-between. And I think the value is already there um, for regular autopilot. For FSD, I, I don't know. But as you say, it, it improves. So I think people are will be willing to pay for that. The question is how much. And the question is whether Tesla can match that pricing. I, I think they will be smart about it. And then it will already generate probably billions in, in profit, uh, FSD alone, even if it's not level four or level five yet. And that's what excites me. That, that's what excites me so much about it. So it's not like this future fantasy. It's already here. It's already a useful product. People are already paying for it, 15K or the monthly subscription. 
And I think the more it improves, the more the take rate will be and, and the more uh, gross um, profit and, and net profit it will generate already. So I think uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it makes me really excited. And especially the, the yeah. wide release, it, it wasn't, I haven't heard anything here in Europe about the wide release. And for me, it was like the, the number one news from Tesla this year. Um, it, it's it's yeah. absolute game changer. I mean, we now have an FSD beta um, capable software um, available to over 1 million drivers in North America. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. And it's, yeah. of course, they are working with regulators. So it has already been approved to, uh, to, to make this wide release. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an absolute uh, game changer. And uh, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't heard anything major like covering that. And for me, it's like nope. a huge revolution. A hundred percent agree with you. I think you framed it a hundred percent correctly. And I would add a different, an additional layer to that is that they did this while Elon was quote unquote distracted with Twitter and Andre Karpathy left the company. Yeah, exactly. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. This is the real, this is where everything has changed is that the company the company without these so-called individuals, which are phenomenal in their own right, but the company is making this happen. This is what this is what also gets me extremely excited, is that the momentum is is going forward. Um, my my wife put it best on our latest drive was when we did our full self-driving beta thing. She said, "I can see why they made this wide release. Mm. I can see why they made a wide release because of exactly what you're talking about. Because people will find value in it." Because people will be blown away by it. Because it is going to be an iPhone moment, and um, and to think about all the data they're getting now from the from the wide release that's going to help version eleven. Like I, I really think version eleven will be will be it. Version oh. eleven will be the the okay. We're over the we're over the version eleven point one or version eleven point two. Once they iron out yeah. a couple of those kinks in that version, because then you have single stack and you yeah. have this. Like full self-driving right now on the city streets, I preferred over navigate on autopilot. That's how much better it is. Like navigate on autopilot and autopilot were the things that blew my mind back in the day. But I'm on the highway with navigate on autopilot. I'm like, this thing kind of sucks <laughs> because it doesn't act like, yeah, it I don't have to drive, but it's like not very human in some respects. And it, it it's not like I'm like, I'm like first world problem. It's like zeroth world problem is like, ugh, I hate the way it lane, changed the lane on the highway. Ugh, like I hate the way it's gauging the space here. You know, it's like I've become like this prima donna thing on the highway, right? But the full self-driving one is so like human and and, it, and it's it's turning out to be so um it's just acting in a way that makes you so comfortable and at ease on the road in the cities that it's it's just changing the game. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't so wait. So it works in the level they will they will they will merge it so they will use the FSD a beta stack for also the regular um, autopilot features. Okay, that's so. what I'm understanding. Yeah, so they'll take they'll take the the city stack, they'll put it on the mm. highway stack, and they'll also do that for parking lots mm. and all that stuff as well. So that 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 model they've built to interpret the real world, it's going to and it's going to be applied to all circumstances because the 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 parking lot stack right now is awful <laughs> it's like oh. it does just doesn't know what to do it, it's super confused once it's on city streets and everything it does a great job and then once it's on highway it's navigated on autopilot which is a very like you can tell it's not really an ai it's just a set of algorithms that are oh. running that are making it an if then else sort of uh movement 
yeah, it's it's very exciting. It's very very exciting. So when when did you start buying Tesla stock? My first purchase was December fifth, two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How, how how did you come across Tesla originally or Elon Musk? Dumb luck. Yeah. <laughs> so I was um, I was three years removed from going to college. So I graduated college. Uh, excuse me, two years removed because I graduated in two thousand not three years two thousand nine, and uh, had a ton of student loan debt. I was you know hundred some odd thousand dollars in debt. I didn't have that much money living with my parents. I had a good job at Phillips, and I was getting paid probably like fifty grand a year. It's doing pretty well. But I had all these debts I wanted to pay off. And I sat down, I'm like, okay, so if I really want to be somebody who has financial independence, because that's really where the, the goal came up, you know, financial independent, and I can retire my parents and my wife's parents, and you know, we can create all this value for our uh, um the world. I can't do this working at a job. 50,000, you know, getting paid 50,000 per year, unless I literally do this as hard as I can for the rest of my life. And then by the time I'm out of work, I'm tired and old, and I just am not going to have the energy. So I need to scale. I need to scale my finances. So I'm like, okay, where, where can I do that? Oh, the stock market seems like a good place. I can just pick a, pick a company that I believe in that I think is going to do well. I can put a chunk of my uh, money in there. And then this thing could like double or triple over time, which is like crazy. I'm like, okay. So I understood the compound effect and exponentials. I have I have a math degree. So like, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just like math. Oh, that makes sense. So I started finding opportunities, right? And then Tesla, what, what was interesting about Tesla is that Tesla had this very unique thing at the time where they had this uh, community forum in Tesla Motors Club and mm. the Tesla forums as well. That was unlike anything I've ever seen where there were these hardcore, incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly helpful, super smart group of people that were deep diving the company. And one of them was uh, Dave Lee or Dave T back in Tesla Motor Clubs and Emmett Peppers was there too, where they're like, they found this thing and they're, they're putting in hours and hours of their time writing out thesis, a thesis for the company and how it's going to be like a game changer, how it's going to be incredible. And that was the, the, the flag that told me, okay, so you have a company that has a very passionate base that when I'm poking, trying to poke holes into like their, say their biases or how like maybe they're too hopeful of what the company is going to do. I'm like reading through it and there's people literally doing the same poking and then they just respond with very valid counter arguments. I'm like, okay, they know what they're talking about. Let me throw a few bucks in there and see what happens. So I, th I think it was 2000 bucks at the time or something. And I'm like, okay, now that I have money in here, I should probably do some research. <laughs> mm. So I started looking up uh, videos of uh, the Elon Musk and Tesla. And then this freaking guy in Elon Musk, I'm like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Holy shit. And he's framing everything around this existential thing about how it's important for the world and how we're going to stop at nothing to make it happen. And there's all these like videos on how hardworking he is and and, you know, he gets asked these very technical questions and then he just nails the answers. And you have all these people saying like, yep, he's 100% right. He's 100% right. He's 100. I'm like, okay, this seems kind of special. And then I looked at the car in person. Wow, what a beautiful car. Oh my God, incredible thing, you know, such a beautiful thing. And then it just um, started snowballing into this, like, it, I started getting really passionate about this company and this mission. And then in 2013, when they... Um, 
posted their first profitable quarter, the stock went from 30 bucks to 180. Mm. And the money I had in the stock allowed me to buy my first house. I'm like, okay, my life has changed because of this company. This is wild. And so the rabbit hole started, right? The rabbit, the freaking the obsessive shit <laughs> of me trying to find everything out about this company and this individual started. And then it got to the point where I'm like, okay, yeah, this, this, this is such a good thing for the world. And I cannot believe you have a person that's willing to put everything on the line to make it happen. It's incredibly mm. inspiring. I want to be part of the mission. Mm. And so I literally threw every dollar I had into Tesla with that mentality. Like I'm going to be in this because I believe in it. And if it gives me huge returns in the future, phenomenal. Because if I'm right, it will. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I literally worked for the company because I, could, mm. I, I, I felt like I needed to be part of that story. Mm. I had to be part of that story in some way. And so that's how it evolved. And so the rest is history. So it drew you. So it drew you in. In a way, you just went down the rabbit hole, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so. it was uh, nuts. Like I, I, I am. I was literally a crazy person. <laughs> like I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. But it it also transformed my life in in, in really great ways, you know. And it's um, yeah. I was that annoying Tesla guy that wouldn't shut up about Tesla all the time. <laughs> but it's okay. That's all right. You know. It's you learn how to talk about other things over time you'd learn from your uh, you know like you're very narrow like literally i 100 of my time was either in working at phillips or think uh discovering mm. more tesla stuff and elon stuff so um and i don't even know how in the hell i found the time to woo my wife to like convince her to marry me during that time she's like okay like wow you're crazy too great <laughs> so uh i'm just so blessed i'm so lucky i feel, I feel like the luckiest person in the world and um yeah. No, How does your wife think about the whole Tesla and Elon thing? Is she annoyed or is she um No, she with, likes it. With, with you? Okay. No, she like I mean she's she doesn't spend nearly as much time as I do invested in the story, right? Cuz I'm I'm a commentator now. I'm like a I'm a I I try to help people I think to try and understand what's going on and I kind of give my two cents and I try to create a community where we talk about these things and openly to try to bring value for each other. But she's much more superficial. Hmm. But she's on the camp of, she's on the camp of, yeah, he's doing the right thing and he makes cool shit and he's clearly doing it for the right reasons. And you have all these people attacking him. Fuck those people. Like that's hmm. her mentality. Like hmm. she's 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 a she's kind of a badass when you when you think about it that way because she's like, <laughs> she if somebody's like shit talking Elon to his face, like she would be that person that would be like, yo, shut the fuck up. Like she would like literally go New New York on them, you know? Because she lived in <laughs> she lived in New York in, in Queens. And they have a specific like fighter attitude, you know. And she, I think she's just a fighter. So that's her mentality. It's, it's, um, you know, he's doing good things, and there's clearly people that hate him for it, and those people are morons. That's that's kind of how she, I think, how mm. she thinks about it. And, uh, you know, it's cool because it's a signal for me that says even the person that doesn't follow the company is quote unquote religiously as I do, if you want to use that word, um, they're still a lot of charm and a lot of positives about the story that I think quote unquote regular people mm. realize and they, and they value. And I think ultimately that's what probably the most powerful, powerful thing in the, about the story, especially with all the noise that's going on right now. I think a lot of us that are in, like really into the story on a daily basis, sometimes lose sight of the fact that the things that are being done with Elon and the companies in the end, I think um, they connect with a deeper thing as a human that makes this important. And yeah. most people, I believe, 
they are much more attracted to that than anything else. And then you allow the opposites, the bubbles, we're on one bubble and then you have the opposite bubble and then they sort of create their own narratives. But then the middle is like, no, guy that's working hard to make cool shit and I respect him for it. Yeah, I'll support him. That seems to be the story. And how do you think about your own like investing strategy, investing philosophy and especially uh, diversification? So I would assume that the majority of your net worth is in, is in Tesla. Um, how, how do you think about that? Or have you diversified a little bit? Have you taken a little bit off the table? Can you um, yeah. talk a little bit about your thinking process there? Yeah. So 100% of my, of my stocks is in Tesla. But then I also have the, the, the majority of my net worth is in real estate. Mm. That's where a majority of my, of my majority is. But 100% of my stocks are in Tesla. And it's like probably right now, because stock is down quite a bit, um, it's probably 25% Tesla. And the rest is like real estate plus whatever other assets we have, right? So um, yeah, so that, that's, that's how I think about it. But, but here's the deal. My, the way my brain works is like, okay, but in five years time, it's going to be 80% Tesla <laughs> and then 20% everything else, right? So it's kind of like a snapshot in time. Um, and, and the way I think about my stock is I try my absolute hardest not to sell any, but I've also been able to really, from, from like say 10 years ago when I first started investing in the company, I've sold some for sure. I mean, it allowed me to buy the house, you know, the, the properties we have. That's yeah. that's kind of how I'm feeding it. But then in my head, I'm also like, okay, but don't sell too much because this still has so much to go. And this is really the only story I believe in from a stock perspective that's going to get me there. That like right now, my, my job is, okay, do you have a big enough shovel to ensure that you're not dipping into your stuff because you have other things you want to do? So now my job is, okay, now I'm going to get a bigger shovel so I can ensure that, that those stocks never get touched, right? Mm. So that's how I think about it. But it's outside of like other companies that I invest in, that's the only company I invest in. Uh, the other stuff I invest in is real estate and then myself. Mm. So that's how I think about it. It's like, it's, you know, time with the wife, going on vacation, getting exposed to different culture, different experience building this channel and this YouTube channel and the Twitter and things that are trying to be maximally helpful. So investing in equipment, I view, I view every time, every time I spend money on something, I try to view it from an investment perspective mm. in either something else or myself. And I try my hardest not to be wasteful, you know, um, cause I used to be quite wasteful, mm. but now it's much more like even going out to a restaurant with the wife, like, I don't view that as, oh, I'm just wasting money on food. It's like, no, I'm, I'm investing in my relationship with my wife. Mm -hmm. So that's how I try to, like, maybe naively, I'm trying to, like, you know, make these things sort of framed in that way. But that's, that's how I think about it. Um, yeah. Do you have a long-term, like, kind of napkin model for how Tesla could, uh, could evolve? Or, like, where could yeah. Tesla as a company... Uh, be in, in 10 years, like from a market cap perspective, um, profitability perspective? Do you have some sure. kind of model like Warren Redlick's battery revenue model or um, do, do you have something like that? I actually have a I have an Excel spreadsheet that I've I've made public. Uh, yeah. That's my back of the napkin because I, I literally can't help myself. I have a math degree and like uh, my most of my career has been in Excel spreadsheets trying to find opportunities. So it's like, 
back of the napkin. I'm like, I would literally start in the back of the napkin and be like, oh, I can just go to Excel and do this. <laughs> and then I go to Excel. And then like four hours later, I have this convoluted model. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> I can't help myself. So it, it depends. So I have a bear and a base and a bull. So in 10 years time, it, it's all really dependent on full self-driving in the bot. So mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm thinking about it this way, if it's just a car business and say they don't make any additional profits from FSD, they don't make any additional profits from the bot, and it's just vehicles and call it even energy, then I think the valuation of the company which will be much more um, like analogous to a Apple nowadays than anything else, which means a PE that's probably 20 or thereabouts in a, you know, call it in a bull market, maybe 20, 25. And uh, the profit, like the valuation of that company will be based on that. And if it's just auto and energy, it's like say by 2032, I have a 630 price tag, which is still, you know, 3x from here. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's okay. It's, yeah, you triple your money. But what's the compound annual growth rate on that? It's like, what, 12% or something? 13%? I don't know how yeah. to do the math there. Something like that, right? So it's mm-hmm. not, it's, it's, better than, it's better than inflation. It's better than gold. It's better than the average return of the S&P. But it's not that much bigger. Once you layer in full stuff driving in the bot, so... My base case is a $9,400 price tag, and my bull case is a $13,000 price tag on, mm-hmm. on the stock. So that's when it starts like really 10xing and, and then some, 20xing, 30xing. But it's driven by the adoption of full self driving, it's driven by the adoption of the bot and the runway. Like you talked about the runway, even in 10 years' time, full self driving and the bot are going to be at their infancy. Because these are technologies that are going to change the world. <laughs> the, how people move around and how people do labor. What? So that's how I think about it. So I think in those 10 years time that there's Tesla will still get a like a boost in valuation from a say price earnings perspective because it's still going to have a lot of growth rate. But like if I look at the PE that I'm assigning to the company in those years, it's still not that high. I mean, it's still like, let's see, um, 31. You know, and in the best case is 33. So it's 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 really a result of how much money the company mm. can generate in the next 10 years because of the value creation they're going to be making. And then at that point, I don't view the risk necessarily Texas execution is going to be the risk from regulators that say you're being monopolistic. <laughs> exactly. That becomes the biggest risk in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, and also probably, I, I don't know, the whole uh, data collection and privacy thing. I mean, if if it really comes true what Elon says, that then Tesla will or will likely be the company with, with the most data in the world, right? With e- even more data than, than Google because they can crawl the whole web and then they have millions of, of cameras and audio um, uh, microphones in, in the world, roaming the world. Um, so, um, yeah, do, do you see any, any kind of backlash or any, any risk there from yeah, yeah. regulation or I, I don't know what, what could happen? 100%. Yeah, these are all good problems to have. That means that your company has gotten so big and so influential that people are freaking out. That's a good problem to have. So I I put out a tweet that Elon replied to. I said, uh, you know, this year we are uh, bitching and whining about Apple's monopoly on the App Store. In 10 years, we're going to bitch and whine about Tesla's monopoly on full self-driving technology. And he said, accurate prediction. (laughs) So what that tells me 
is that they're very much fully preparing for this battle. They know yeah. they have a monopoly. They, they yeah. know they're going to have a monopoly. They know they're going to have a situation where they're so ahead of the curve. It's like going to be my, it's going to be Windows 2.0. Like mm. Windows back in 99, whenever it was, they had a monopoly on mm. software and operating systems for computers. And so the government's like, yo, chill. Like, okay, chill out. You're This is too much. We need to make sure we don't get too big and too influential. That that will be Tesla's biggest challenge in the next 10 years is the their fight against mm. uh, regulators to come to common ground that says because tesla is going to say well it's not my fault no one else caught up it's not my fault that we're the fastest moving company that we're the ones that innovated the fastest and this is what the market demands what the, other people should have worked as hard as we did it's not our fault right mm. but the government is like yeah okay cool i get it but dude you also like literally own everyone's like data you own labor in a way with the bot you own how everybody gets around do you think that's a good thing? Like how let's work this out. Like mm. let's come, to, you know, so who knows? Maybe like Tesla's like, okay, how about you buy some Tesla stock government and then you mm. give those dividends out as a universal basic income and you just like, that's our, I don't know. Like this is the type of conversations I think will appear in the next 10 years. Um, like while people are uh, questioning P Tesla's long-term survival, I'm thinking about how are they going to fight the battle of having too mm. much power? <laughs> That's where my and that those are my risks. Those are my bear cases. It's like mm. Tesla gets so big that it becomes a problem, either mm. perceived or real. Yeah. And and you know, people call me delusional for that. But I just I feel like that's the likeliest outcome. I, I totally I totally agree. Have you read the the Mars trilogy? Um no. It's a fantastic uh, sci-fi trilogy, and there um you had these companies that developed more powerful, that became more powerful than nation states. And they started to calling them not multi, multinationals, but like transnationals, where you have these corporations that are so powerful that they are basically running the world. And I, if we get to such a world where like four or five companies are becoming transnationals, I am 100% sure that Tesla will be, will be one of them. And especially yeah. if you think if you think out to like uh, yeah building a base on Mars and and on the Moon etc. I mean it it could it could become more real than than people think. Yeah, and and, and like let, let's think through it through the logistics too because Tesla could very well achieve this without being a to call it a transnationalistic company, but instead having hundreds of regional very powerful players so yeah. like the china example the china factory is owned by tesla but it's really run by the chinese it's yeah. they're running that factory and that factory is creating a lot of jobs and value for that local economy that that population is going to benefit from yeah. and so if tesla can figure out how to essentially ensure that these quote-unquote silos are are operating in the best interest of that region, then the noise for Tesla to be, say, tagged as a potential risk from that perspective minimizes because then you can really sell the value you're bringing to those to those localities. Um, but they have to be very careful in how the, how the, how they play that dance. And it like you know I'm not a I'm not a genius business leader or nothing, but that's like how I would be thinking about building out the mm. the the future of the company is like dude like just 
try your best to ensure that those uh, local operations are lo- truly local. Like, mm. make it so that they're truly... We're going through this de- deglobalization sort of um, uh, trend right now in the world where people are realizing the weaknesses of of being uber-dependent on a different company that or a different country that may not have your best interests in mind. So how can we ensure that the things we're building in those localities are truly being served for the best purpose of that of that region, localizing supply chain, localizing energy, you know? But what's mm-hmm. crazy about how Tesla operates is that because they're so vertically integrated, they can maximize the amount of supply that can be like pulled from that region. And then with solar and batteries and batteries and say renewable energy, you can also be 100% self-sustaining from an energy perspective. Hmm. So like you, you've built this sort of vertical integration, not just for your products, but how to operate in a country as well. Like the, the, that type of culture also applies to your ability to serve the region's best interests. Uh, so how does Elon Musk leverage that? How does Tesla leverage that in the future? It's going to be a fascinating thing to, to follow. But I got to read that book because I feel like we might learn something <laughs> from from that trilogy that's going to allow us to see how this plays out in the future. It's a it's a fantastic story. Also about how to terraform Mars, like they go into the science. It was really it was really great. I, I highly re- recommend it. Um, do you think we will get to some kind of uh, universal basic income, or will that be needed in in such a world? In in your opinion, I've been struggling with this questions so much you know like even this shirt that i'm wearing if i could plug my merch for a hot second this is like it's based on this idea you know of the robots are coming the the automation age is coming ai is coming robotics are coming and and i don't know what they're coming for but they're coming you can't stop them they're going to be here they're going to disrupt physical labor they're going to disrupt uh software so dolly 2 and all these different like AIs that are generating. Uh, there's one that just came out recently for video editing. So it will automatically clip your your videos to remove dead noise. And you can write spoken word to edit a video. These are massively disruptive. Hmm. So where my head goes to is as long as those technologies that are making, let's say, humans able to not have to do menial, boring jobs. And if those technologies are commoditized to the point where anybody has access to them, that you're maximizing the chance of a human being to do something they truly want and to build value for themselves in the world in exchange. But those technologies have to be commoditized. Mm. They have to be. So when I think about like the bot, for example, a lot of folks I hear that are in the best interest of maximizing the value for Tesla, they're like, don't sell the bot for cheap. You have to sell it for at least the cost of a human being because that's how much value you can bring to the world. I'm like, yes, but think about that equation for a second. If you do that, then you literally render every human being useless from a labor perspective and you make the technology prohibitive for everybody. Like nobody is going to be able to afford if a bot's going to operate in a in a factory for five years straight, it's equivalent to I don't know five hundred thousand dollars that you would have paid for that same person. You can't make the bot five hundred thousand dollars because that literally reserves that technology for the few that can afford mm-hmm. it, and then you have dystopia. It's over. It's over, bro. Like it's it's not going to work. So the opposite of it would be 
if you are able to democratize and make the technology as affordable as humanly possible so that anybody can afford it, then you're maximizing the chances of humans being able to create value for as much as many people as humanly possible. And that's how you create new industries and new marketplaces is through that, through that action. Mm-hmm. So as long as that happens, I don't think we'll need UBI. But if more and more companies emerge that are very call it self-serving and maximizing that that technologies profit for the few that own it, then it becomes super weird. And that's where UBI has to exist because if it doesn't, we are fucked. It's over. That's the way I think. I could be 100% wrong, but that's how I think about it. And that's why Tesla working on things like full self-driving and the bot is important to me because you have a, a, a person and a culture, I believe, that is humanity first. That it's we're trying to do this for humans first. So we're going to try our absolute best to make this thing cost plus, <laughs> like a cost plus. You, you, you're essentially creating a cost plus contract with humanity. That's saying this car, I'm not going to sell it for more than hopefully 35% margin or mm. 25% margin. This bot, I'm not going to sell it to you for any more than 25% margin. Like it's a social contract between business and individual that says we're going to give you the profit, but if it's going to if it's going to cost you eight thousand bucks to make this bot, you better not charge me five hundred thousand. You better charge me twelve thousand, right? And as you as you as you um, get to full scale and your costs are essentially as low as humanly possible, you you better keep that margin the same. Otherwise, like this thing kind of breaks down, and then you start minimizing the number of people that have access to technology. So it's it's very dependent on how corporations and humans decide to execute these insane technologies. And if the if the market forces towards commoditizing these technologies, we'll be fine. And it'll just be like it always has been. We won't need universal basic income. We'll have this sort of dance that we have to play where we ensure that the rich don't get too powerful and too rich and that there's enough like folks that are able to build a life that they want and if you can maximize the number of people that want to build a life that they want we're fine we're fine i i think in a, in a way what what do you describe these two options i think in a way um even if tesla cuts there uh, or or uh, puts a ceiling on on their profitability this is in a way also sharing their profits with with the community and that's right could could also be seen as a version of a of a UBI but i think the UBI can only work if you have a thriving economy if the economy is digitized automized robotized then i think i hope we will get there but I, we also live in a world where um, like full employment like is a is a poli- is on the political agenda and if you lay off people that's like uh, counted as a bad thing and I think, um, yeah, these companies like Tesla, I think also would need to think ahead a little bit because we could um, get ourselves to social turmoil if we just, um, yeah, do it uh, without, without thinking. And, and suddenly we have this monopoly. Uh, suddenly we have millions of robots and, and millions of people that lose their jobs. I think this could be a huge shock to the system. And it's actually funny, here in Switzerland, we had a national referendum on, on the UBI in 2016. And if it were accepted, then we would have UBI right now. And it uh, was like 25% said yes. And it was here in Basel, uh, where the headquarters w- was. And 36% of the, 
of Basel citizens said yes to it. So, um, and it sparked so many discussions. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly what we are talking uh, right now about uh, innovation, uh, digitization, uh, how to deal with when technology replaces labor, all of these questions. And it also talks about people, um, yeah, basically having to find their own meaning of life. And personally, yes. I see myself, I see myself, and maybe I, I see yourself a little bit in that, in that uh, too. Uh, that we are prototypes of that because we kind of semi-retired or personally I semi-retired after I sold my company, uh, but I still do what I'm passionate about. I, I built yeah. my YouTube, YouTube channel and projects, but I see myself as a prototype of a UBI kind of technological innovative world. But this is challenging. It's psychologically challenging. So we would need a lot of like uh, psychotherapists and coaches um, to, to facilitate that because a lot of people are on this treadmill of working. They never think about what they want in life. They always think they have to perform. And once yeah. you remove that, people will, will get uh, hugely existential crises. And I think, uh, uh, I think this shock will come. The question is how severe it will be. And I think it, it would pay off to, to think about that and to hopefully prepare for, for that future. You, you nailed so many things there. And and the reason why I'm really excited about Twitter and Starlink is because I think that is that. Mm -hmm. I think that the, there there is a that there's already movement, and I don't think it's being viewed this way. And I and I could be completely like again shooting from the hip like a maniac, but I really think like the combination of Elon buying Twitter and having Starlink. You you fast forward ten years from now, what does that look like? Everybody's connected. Mm. together and they have a platform where they can share ideas content and call it the next generation of the economy that's going to be digital through that platform and if twitter's really going to be the everything app then every single thing we just discussed that would uh, maximize the chances of somebody being able to fulfill their true passions mm. is enabled by by literally for everybody on planet earth mm. and so i i view those things as the because you th really think about it, the way the guy operates, Elon Musk, is like he's very much like he's 20, 30 years into the future. So like the, the whole SpaceX thing is let's get to Mars. Mm. The whole Tesla thing is like move the entire world to uh, sustainable energy. The Twitter thing, I think, is going to be connecting everybody together to bring value creation for everybody in a world where everything is automated. Maximize yeah, the chances on, for people. And then Neuralink on top of that, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like it's I think it's all part of this master plan, because if if you really do, if you really are to the point where you are automating all physical labor with the bot or most physical labor with the bot and you are potentially automating all software, whatever that means with AI, you know, and full self-driving and all this stuff. What we're going to do as human beings is probably going to be majority digital or majority oh. like somewhere outside of our physical realm or, or a lot of it's going to be outside of our physical realm. So having tools and a place for us to maximize that potential is in my opinion, what Twitter and Starlink are not obviously in their current form, but in their future form, it's that sort of, it's the, it's human OS, <laughs> you know, it's human OS in a way it's the true metaverse. It's the real metaverse. So, so solutions like that have to exist. Like, think about it. If all, if all, labor physical labor is um auto automated and you and all driving is automated and all code creation is automated and all digital work is automated you got nothing to do bro like in our existing thing it fucking sucks what am i supposed to do i'm going to go outside and hold people's hands and 
to walk him down the street and get paid 10 bucks an hour? Is that a fulfilling job? Is that something you're really passionate about? Like it's going to be chaotic. So when mm. the market has to create those, those, uh, and, and, uh, and honestly, if Elon Musk, he almost is like, I would say he's morally, I shouldn't say morally, but he, he better be working on something <laughs> that would ease the pain of the disruption that the automation could bring that he is building mm. to ensure that it doesn't turn into dystopia. Cause I think that's how he works. I think he, he morally probably feels like he, he shouldn't just be the guy who's automating everything that he's also helping create value. And Twitter was probably partially that if I were to guess mm. long-term. And I, again, I could be a crazy person, but that's how I think about it. It all feels like looking at it like that, it all feels like a big master plan. I don't know whether, yeah. it's, whether it's orchestrated, but it's, it certainly feels like the pieces are coming together, like for colonizing Mars and to have like this uh, yeah, global town square with Twitter, the Everything app, and hopefully crypto will 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 be a part of that to to disrupt the old financial system. And sure, I, yeah, I I really see like the pieces coming together in in real time. It's it's uh it's absolutely mind mind blowing. Yeah, it's it's truly a a master. I th I really do believe it's a master plan. I think I think Elon has an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. Where he's got like the I don't know the the sixty nine pillars to ensure humanity has a successful future, and he's identified all the subsets that have to be solved to ensure that humanity's potential and happiness is maximized. And then I think his ability is to sort of logically go down the path of most likelihood, and then identify something that comes up that's a huge risk. And be like, okay, what is the solution we need for that? And do mm. any of my ventures cover that? Or can they be morphed to cover that? And if that doesn't exist, then he starts poking around and says, yo, do you know anybody who's working on this? Do you know anybody who's working on this? Do you know anybody who's working on this? And if he's like, okay, nobody seems to want to be working. Nobody seems to want to work on this. And I feel like it's super important. Then I should probably work on it. I think mm. that's how he works. Yeah. I think that that's how he works. Yeah. It's wild. Crazy. Like, why crazy. wouldn't he work that way? Why wouldn't everybody work that way? Is my question. Mm. Why wouldn't we all that work that way? It's because we're not crazy. Because <laughs> we, we, we enjoy the moment. We enjoy, you know, we, we, we don't, we are pain averse. But I think that thought process that Elon takes, I believe, again, I, I'm not in his head, but I believe that's the thought process it takes. And he views the end game and the and the and that that end game supremely important to the point that if it doesn't happen, he views that humanity will self-destruct in a way. Mm -hmm. Um and he that's I think that's why he says I care about humanity. I think it's framed around that. Mm -hmm. That if he if he doesn't build the things that he builds that he feels like are gonna ensure humanity's long-term success, that um if he's not personally making it happen or sees it make it happen, he he feels responsible for humanity to be able to happen because maybe in his head, he knows he has the ability to do it. And if he doesn't do it, that he would be like, he would go, he would die unhappy that he mm. would die. Like I didn't try my best, you know? So yeah, I don't know. And again, I could be, I could be making all this shit up, but it just, that's, that's how I, that's how I perceive it. That's my perception. And what's your, what's your take on, on crypto and how do you think crypto will, will, um, yeah, take, take part in, in that, in that future? 
do you do you hold any Bitcoin? Have you studied it? Because I talk a lot about Bitcoin on, on my channel and I really think it's it's one super important piece uh, to separate state from money and, and all of these uh, revolutions uh, to really make it decentralized and to um, yeah have a sound monetary policy and, and all of that. Um, yeah, yeah. What's, 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 your, what's your take on that and, and what do you think, uh, yeah, what, what part uh, will, will that play? Yeah, I think I think I agree with you 100%. I think for us to to get to that future, there needs to be a way for the people to have as much power as humanly possible. Like take the Fed in the US as of late. Like the, the mind-blowing thing for me is that there is a group of like 12 or nine people that get to decide how the US economy and by proxy the entire world economy functions. That's oh. fucking crazy to me. That is fucking crazy to me. Like how is that even a thing? It blows my mind. Like, yes, they are doing the best they can. I don't doubt their humanity and like them having the best people's like interests in mind. But it's still people making decisions that impact everybody. It's a small round table. I have an issue with that. That to me seems ill-advised. So uh, crypto, the central, truly decentralized currencies in the form of a digital asset like Bitcoin uh, I think are extremely important to to do, and I think that equation is very different than what happened with like the FTX bullshit that has sort of like put a black eye on crypto. I think what it's put it's put a black eye on shit coins, <laughs> and it's put a black eye on on uh, digital assets that are masquerading as a decentralized asset when they're really not, right? So that's why I think Bitcoin offers a very unique solution in that perspective because a it's trusted by the holders. And it's not beholden to an individual, at least it seems like that way. And it's and it's proved that by the appreciation of the asset over time. Even four years ago, it was like what, like a hundred bucks a coin or something? It's still at sixteen thousand. Like it's there's clear trust in the system. So that's one. And then two is that there is a, a actual utility to the currency. So how I, do I know this? A lot of my family lives in Iran, and Iran is a country that has a really unstable government, and they just kind of suck really bad and nobody trusts the government and what's happening as of late is that the currency of that government like the currency is it's plummeting it's being destroyed by inflation <clears throat> so how are people exchanging value that in something they trust bitcoin so that proves that there is a um a uh use case excuse me my dogs are going crazy they're agreeing with bitcoin by the way that's what they are like yeah we're big fans of bitcoin too they are, um, sorry, one second. Guys, be quiet. Shush. They are, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a case where if you have enough people that don't trust what the current government or say power structure is doing, then Bitcoin becomes that safety net. And so you scale that up forward and say, okay, all humans tend to show at some point in time uh, an ability to abuse power and abuse the system that they're in. And so how do we maximize the chances of that not happening? It's taking it, the power away from an individual <laughs> or uh, an individual, uh, an individual's ability to influence the outcome. And so that's why something like Bitcoin is very attractive to me. Um, it, it's, it's idealistic, and, but it makes a lot of sense. The, the only missing factor is that it has to prove over the long term that it can be trusted more than world governments 
when it comes to monetary monetary policy. And there could be a situation where they both coexist for a long time, where maybe the US dollar is just really good. Maybe, maybe the Fed does make the right decisions. And maybe it does prove as a great place for people to put their trust and value. But if, if that turns out to not be the case over time, I think through the arc of history, what will you know to the future, we'll see that humans tend to fuck things up because we're human. And the less we can have p- people fuck things up, the better. And money is a man, man, man-made thing and it will get fucked up. And eventually it won't once we remove that power from the people. And so to me, Bitcoin is inevitable, inevitable, but it might take thousands of years or hundreds of years or tens of years, but it will happen. Absolutely, 100% agree. And, and FTX is, is all just, and all of these things, uh, this is not like the true spirit of, of crypto. These were centralized companies that were mismanaged. Right. And this is just the layer above the, the, the real thing. And I think, um, yeah, what I'm so passionate about, like teaching about Tesla, teaching about Bitcoin, really the fundamentals, what it means. And I think FTX is a huge, huge um, gift for us because it allows all the people that were caught up like in this get rich quick scheme and and uh, yeah leveraging and using centralized uh, platforms to really go back to square one to first principles and to learn about what exactly is a blockchain how exactly does a creating a block work um how does uh, creating cold storage work all of these basics most people have no clue we're really right. at day one um, with regards to Tesla, as well as with regards to Bitcoin. And that's why I'm so so passionate about it. And that's why I also spend so much time creating my channel, because I think the world deserves to know all of these things. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I also believe that, uh, yeah, I 100% believe that Bitcoin will be part of this future. And I think Elon sees it uh, that way as well. Um, the majority of his crypto holdings are in Bitcoin as well. I think he will, of course, Add Dogecoin uh, to the to the equation, but <laughs> I think uh, I think Bitcoin will be will be the the main the main uh, pillar of 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 the of the world economy. Hopefully, yeah, I think so too. I think, and again, it's it's a it's a matter of like timeline. Uh, I think it will happen. I'm actually I'm ge- I'm very confident it will happen, but the timeline of it is what's dubious because the learning curve of Bitcoin is kind of difficult. It's very steep. Yes. So it has a very steep learning curve. But once you get there, but here's the thing, it's it's steep because it's such a foreign it's such a foreign concept, but the the execution of it is so damn simple. That's what's that's kind of the beauty behind it. It's a very simple simple beautiful system, but it has a very steep learning curve because for some reason we've decided that like these types of topics are not important for people to be very well versed about as a society in like schools and education, like which kind of quite like brings up the question as to why that's not the case, because it's literally how people exchange value with each other. It's mind blowing to me that this isn't like the, one of the core pillars of education in every single country. Like how does money actually work? Let's like literally spend five years <laughs> breaking the subject down. At least in the United States, I feel this is not the case. But um, yeah, and I think that's why there's a learning curve because there's so many of us that are just not well versed in what 
money actually means. And even to this point, I'm not well-versed and I feel like a dummy whenever I talk about money and currency and assets and Bitcoin and all this shit. But it's an exchange of value and it's it's something people have to trust. Those are the two core pillars. And if, and if, a, and if a currency can do that consistently forever, then it wins and it becomes the, 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 the solution for everybody to use. And it's also about sustainability. It's, it's about self-sovereignty. So you take your own financial matters into your own hands. You um, not only um, transfer value, but you also um, you can use it to, to save value and to preserve value and uh, yeah, to, to make it mobile. So you could just take your um, uh, crypto wallet, your Bitcoin wallet seat, um, memorize it and uh, yeah, basically move to Mars and, and have all your assets with you yeah. in your brain. You don't need anything else. You just need yeah. your, your 24 words and, and you're, you're done. All of your assets are always, always with you. So uh, it's it's a rabbit hole, and it's it's really I, I compare it with the Tesla rabbit hole. The more you go into it, the deeper it gets, and the more fascinating it gets. And you can literally spend all day learning about it, and you always come away with more questions and more fascinating yeah. things. So that's uh, that's fascinating. So so let's maybe let's maybe um, yeah see what other people asked. So uh, dear Sophia asked. How did you originally find the Tesla Motors Club? Yeah, dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> dumb luck. I literally, I was, I was, um, I was looking through some. I don't know what it was. Was it like, I, I may have just Googled what do people think? Like, what are the best stocks to invest in? You know, and then mm. Tesla came up on someone's top ten list. Uh, and I was like, oh, what is Tesla? And then it had like, I don't know, like a link to the car. I'm like, oh, I, I love cars. I'm, I love cars. I'm a huge car guy. I just love cars. Any electric, gas, whatever. I love them. So I'm like, oh, car company. Cool. I never heard of this thing. And then I, you know, I, I started doing some research on the word Tesla. And then Elon Musk came up, obviously. Mm. And then I love forums. Like one of the things I love to do as a kid was visit forums for kids. I'm so sorry. Give me one second. Let me just get this doctor shot up. Of course. Sorry, dude. Uh, this guy's crazy. And uh, little Chihuahua. He thinks that the world is uh, is his oyster. And uh, yeah, I I love forums as a, as a kid growing up. So I played a lot of video games. So I go on World of Warcraft forums, Counter Strike forums, you know, Warcraft Three forums, Dota forums. And I'm like, oh my god, this company has a forum. That's cool. Let me go check it out. And then that transformed how I viewed the stock market <laughs> and what the stock market was. And I learned about market caps and I learned mm. about PE ratios and I learned about uh, what it means to have a, uh, uh, I don't know, just what it means to be somebody who invests in assets. It just was a huge educational period for me and it was all dumb luck. And I think where I got really lucky is that I capitalized on the opportunity that I saw in front of me and uh, I went. I went forward. I went forward with that with that learning. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Court asks, Andre left Tesla and kept it quiet for a few months to prevent people from freaking out, or that's his, his opinion. Do you think Elon is doing the same thing? That's an interesting question. So <clears throat> I don't think Andre was quiet about it. He won a sabbatical. Yeah. I honestly think what happened with Andre is that he, he reached, because what's interesting is he went on sabbatical at the four-year mark. 
around the mm. four year mark, which is literally around the time I went on, like not on sabbatical, I actually left the company. But I bet you what happened with Andres, he he was he was smart enough to take sabbatical and say, okay, I I need to find my fire again, my purpose again, uh, behind this mission. And he came back and he's like, you know what? I don't. It's not there. It's not there right now. So I'm going to go towards the thing that's itching my brain right now, which is education and getting back into teaching and doing more AI specific things instead of like leading teams and managing and doing that stuff. More power to him. Um, I do think though, that question is very interesting because I think Tesla is well-equipped today to have a leadership structure that's a lot less dependent on Elon being the face of the company. And I think the the moves that Elon's making lately with allowing people to come in front, like the AI discussions, he brought up the entire team to talk about what they're working on. Neuralink, he brought up the entire team to talk about what they're working on. The Semi, he brought up Dan, Dan to talk about what they're working on. So I think it's a, it's a very well-thought-out strategy to start creating the team of Tesla as the face of the company. And I would hope for Elon's sake to work on exactly what he wants to work on at all times and create the maximum amount of value for people is that he starts becoming less and less the face of some of these companies and, and really be part of the equation of let's just create the best possible thing ever and let's make it happen. And of course, he is more than welcome to be be in the public spotlight if he wants to. But allowing the spotlight to shine more on the groups he's created, it's a mm-hmm. very wise decision and a very smart decision. Because what's going to end up happening is if he's successful in doing that and Tesla becomes more and more the spotlight, like the team's, and Elon does something that Elon does, which is say something sh- fucking stupid on Twitter, which he has every right to do. And is he human like anybody else? The company doesn't suffer because of it. He can be Elon. He's more than welcome to be Elon. And I fully support him to be exactly who he wants to be as an individual. But then also continue working towards putting that spotlight on the people that are actually, not, not, no disrespect to Elon, doing the work every day. And I think that's very smart. And I encourage him to continue doing that. Absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. And I think that's also a way for him to make him even more to, to scale himself even more. I mean, if, if you give if you give credit to the people, then yeah, it's it's a it's a positive uh, feedback loop. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, dear Sophia said uh, Ben Horowitz also emphasized the importance of the innovators' dilemma. That was how I encountered it. So. Yeah, I will definitely link the innovator's dilemma to the description or just Google it and and uh, buy the the audio version. It's I think it's a required reading um if you are interested in innovation and technology. Um 100%. that's fantastic and yeah, really great comments. Dear Sophia says um I think there will actually be a free month uh, with regards to to FSD. I mean, that would be absolutely killer, right? Hook hook people with a free month and then yeah. Yeah. 
100 percent. Yeah, that's infinite possibilities. Your Sophia is actually Hans from 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 my community. Ah, uh, he nice. started a new channel uh, called Your Sophia's, and I'm 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 his first guest. So uh, I'm very honored for that opportunity. And uh, yeah, he's he's the one that actually tweeted out that idea, like that they should like do some sort of like cheap or free trial. I guess it was a free trial. And uh, yeah, it's talk about the ultimate carrot. <laughs> Come try this out. Guess what? You can drive yourself. Like the car drives you for free. For free, bro. The drive, the car will drive you for free. How could you not want to try that out as a Tesla owner? And then once it blows your mind, you're like, I'm glad you like it. From this point forward, it's, uh, I don't know, 200 bucks a month or you get a discount or something. And then it just becomes infinitely scalable. It's, it's game over. <laughs> Tesla has won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, that, that was a fantastic interview. I, I watched that uh, this morning from uh, from Hans and, and you, the, oh, the nice. podcast. So I will definitely link to, to his channel um, in the description below. Awesome. Um, I've enjoyed it. Hans yeah. is great, man. He make, he asks such good questions. He's a phenomenal interviewer. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. So questions. are you, by the way, dude. You're, that, this, <laughs> this was a very enjoyable conversation. Props Thank to you. you. Thank you so much. Yeah, failed yeah. train asset. Oh, man, I did the same journey for that. I kept looking for failure cases and they were all flimsy as hell over time. I just kept going deeper and find more and more upside. Yes. So really, really, really great. I think more and more people are going down the rabbit hole and discovering what's the true, true value of Tesla really is. It's, it's not a company that is easily understood. You really need to spend the time. You need to experience the product. And uh, I think more and more, that's, that's the beauty. Um, I, I have this theory. I, I would like love your take on that. I have this theory mm -hmm. that each Tesla driver, each Tesla owner is responsible for an additional three Teslas being sold. What's, what's your take on that? Uh, the, the, sure. viral, the viral uh, word of mouth loop. Do, do you think that's, that's uh, possible 100%. or do you think it's even more? It's, it's some number above, above two and less than infinity. <laughs> 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 you know? So it's, it's, it, it, the proof is the fact that Tesla doesn't market, it doesn't advertise, and the company is exponentially growing. So that implies that the a single driver is at least bringing in two more, at least bringing in you know two more, or at least one more. No, at least two more because it's doubling. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the right number is, but there's a saying: you know, the more Teslas. Tesla sells, the more Tesla's Tesla sells. And that's 100% accurate. And it's a testament to investing all your time and energy into making sure that the experience to the human is as good as humanly possible so that person can go and then become an evangelist almost for the thing you've built. And there's no stronger form of marketing this word of mouth because ultimately people trust other humans the most. They don't trust really... Who trusts a commercial, really? Like a, a commercial has to be spectacular and it has to really talk to what you want in that specific moment for you to be like, yeah, I'm going to buy that, you know? it's But a human, if you have somebody you trust and that person is telling you to buy a Tesla, then you're probably going to buy a Tesla or at the very least, you're going to consider a Tesla. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. How many people have you convinced to buy a Tesla? Oh, I don't know, bro. Like... <laughs> <laughs> tens you know Absolutely. a lot yeah. a lot of people um yeah a lot of people how about you 
I don't know. I, I actually don't even own a Tesla. <laughs> I mean, the public transport in okay. Switzerland is so great. I use oh, car yeah, sure. sharing. Um, uh, I would love to use robot taxis. I'm a minimalist, so I, I don't uh, love using, uh, I don't love uh, owning things. I would love to use things. But uh, nice. yeah, eventually I will, I will get one, probably a Model Y from, from Giga Berlin at one point. Um, but uh, I really don't, here in Switzerland, you really don't uh, need a car day to day. Public transport is so great. But yeah, I would also say I don't know. Uh, yeah, certainly a couple of couple of people. I have a lot of friends that that have Tesla. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Absolutely. 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 Yeah, Farsad. I think we could uh, talk for many more hours. Uh, we <laughs> yeah. are already two and a half in. Hey, thank you so much, man, for for coming on. Um, it was fantastic. My pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a very uh, stimulating discussion from the get go. So I really appreciate you uh, having me on and letting me answer questions in way too long of a manner <laughs> but i really uh I, yeah i uh, the way my brain works is i, I just I'm, I'm trying my best to be very open and like allow people into how my thought process works in hopes that it helps others gain confidence in in that approach like i don't know what i'm talking about most of, like all the time let's say but there is a specific thought process that I exercise to try and arrive to conclusions. And that's why my answers are, lo are long-winded a lot of the times. So I really appreciate you giving me a platform to exercise that a little bit. And I hope it was valuable ultimately. I hope it was valuable for people to, to sort of uh, to walk through that with, with you and I. And uh, yeah, dude, it was fun. It was so fun. I got to have you Absolutely. on my channel sometime, dude. It was so fun. Hey, yeah. any, anytime, anytime. Your channel yeah. is fantastic. Please, everybody, um, Thank subscribe you. to Farzad. I will, of course, link to his channel down below. And uh, yeah, Thank the so live much. chat was fantastic. I wasn't even able to, to keep up. So let's maybe do a round two at one point or on your channel yeah. anytime. Hey, was, was, a, was a blast. Have a fantastic day, Farzad. You too, man. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Peace out. Bye, everybody. Peace.